Welcome to Her Big Girls Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Mom Taco. And I'm Luna, and we have two returning guests today. Both fall on the opposite spectrum of a fandom. We have Saflora and Soul coming back. Saflora is our Aaron apologist, or no, Aaron optimist. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and Soul is our uh, Aaron anonymous fan i guess closet, closet jaegerist <laughs> closet jaegerist there's a lot of terms and it's here going around. yeah god in case anyone um is new to the podcast so flora was our guest for the chapter 128 podcast and she nearly convinced me that aaron had a benevolent or a slightly more benevolent plan slightly less malicious slightly less malicious plan so um when this chapter dropped and you know, it was finally the Aaron POV. You were the first person I wanted to have back. So welcome back to the podcast, Flora. And I am really interested in hearing if you are still an Aaron optimist or, you know, how that's going for you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It is good to be back. Do you want <laughs> like a one-liner, I guess, on what I'm feeling right now? Sure. Okay. I am maybe a slightly or a, a, a much more cautious Aaron optimist. Uh, <laughs> but I think I am an Isayama optimist. So, oh. <laughs> so that's good. There's this lovely song by Lana Del Rey called Hope is a Dangerous Thing for a Woman to me- Like Me to Have, But I Have It. And I think that's pretty much how I'm feeling. That reminds me of an ask that we got from Twitter's Ambassador Aguino. He said, Did you? Ever doubt Isayama? Has your faith in him been restored this chapter? And what are your feelings about Aaron right now? So uh, I guess <laughs> coming from you, you just answered that. Your faith is there. It is, yeah, cautiously there. Well, we'll talk. Well, how about you, Sol? How are you feeling about um, your closet Jaegerism? Well, in retrospect, I don't know. I, I feel quite a bit of ambiguity. Either I'm a closet <laughs> I, ironically closeted Jaegerist or I'm just in denial about how Aaron <laughs> actually is and how I expect him and want him to be. I mean, we'll get into it later, but this latest chapter was definitely um, interesting. I've, uh, Aaron was portrayed in a way that I, I, I found interesting that makes him seemingly seem to double down on his worst traits, traits mm. that Either Isayama is trying to make us convince us that Eren is uh, is 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 still a uh, still driven by hatred, and he's lost that sort of ambiguity that I liked in him. <laughs> Essentially, I have mixed feelings. Um, but yeah, I, I, either way, uh, I'm I'm interested to to see where the discussion goes. I'll second that. On my first read, so when we get a new chapter, I'm always just so excited. I'm like please inject this directly into my largest vein. And I read it in like <laughs> a minute, 30 seconds and don't actually look at anything that I'm just like reading for the events of the chapter. And so I did that and it devastated me so much that I could not return for my second read for like three days. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So, oh, it, it felt awful. So it took me a while to get back to it. And then I read it again. And I was like, oh, thank God, there's so much more here that's interesting than I thought. Yeah, so I haven't had a ton of time to actually like process it and think about it and read what people have written and that kind of thing. But I was happy to be intrigued, at least, when I read it again. That's kind of interesting. I, I 
thought you would still hold on to the theory that, you know, it would only be a partial rumbling. Because it could only be still that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing in this chapter that, like, made it 100% impossible for what I was hoping to happen. To happen, it just made it less likely. Well, I mean, technically the events can still happen, but the intent of which those events might happen might not right. be what you want them to be. Yeah, and the intent's what's important. But <laughs> I think we see something else happening here that's really interesting to me, and it's kind of an idea that I've played with on and off for the last several months, maybe like almost a year now. Um, and the last theory I came up with didn't really require much thinking about like Titan mythology and Titan powers and that kind of thing. So I sort of dropped it more recently, but it seems like it might actually be relevant. So I've been thinking a little bit more about that lately too. I kind of like what Sol said that he's feeling a bit ambivalent about Aaron Yeager because mm. we did get a, a, a really nice comment for you from Jojo and Dad5. He says, if Sol doesn't see this, hopefully you guys can pass on to Sol that I think he made the best Attack on Titan character study that I've ever watched. The video titled, The Genius of Aaron Yeager's Character. <laughs> it's beautifully written. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, mean, that is very nice. It's nice, but it's also funny with, you know, your curious Yeah, just because of the meme. Yeah. Just the genius of Aaron <laughs> Yeager. No, uh, no, it does mean a lot getting comments like that. It kind of reaffirms that at some points... I, I kind of, you know, as much as I, I miss and get things wrong, you know, sometimes I can hit a nail on the head when it comes to a character. But I, I will just add that since I've made that video, God, it's been like two years. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even since like my latest Attack on Titan video, just been like, like months and months ago, almost a year ago, like my perspective has shifted quite a bit on the, on the core issues obviously as a mixture of just new newer content coming out as far as Attack on Titan goes, but also just from hearing new arguments and discussing the stories, my, my mind has changed and my opinions have changed on, on certain issues, including Eren. So if I were to make a new Eren analysis or something now, I'd probably have different, slightly different thoughts on him than, you know, previous videos that I made. So this makes me all the more excited to hear your chapter impressions, especially since your ideas have changed. And from Twitter, Monica So sent us that message. She said she can't wait to hear our impressions. So I know we've touched on it already slightly, but because this is our tradition, let's go ahead and do it. What were your initial chapter impressions? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Let's start. Let's go ahead and start with you, Sol. Yeah. So when I first read it, I uh, I read it with a friend with like that that epic. Attack on Titan, Sawano, Hiroyuki music in the background. And it just so happened that like, whilst I was listening to, to the song in the background, uh, it happened to, you know, it, the majority of it was build up. And as soon as we saw like the rumbling actually occur, that's when like, you know, the song reached its climax and like all the epic instrumentals like kicked in. And that has, uh, <laughs> that, that just like, it, it just felt like, 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 you know, just, a divine intervention to make my interpretation of the chapter just amazing, just 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 enjoyable, all the more enjoyable. Uh, so, like when I first read it, just the sheer spectacle of the rumbling actually happening was just kind of like I was just taken over by hype initially because I, I think since the rumbling happened, 
I think a lot, I think I echo the sentiment that like a lot of fans were kind of disappointed that it was a backdrop. Like you briefly saw the walls crumbling and then they kind of just disappeared. Um, and so I think this chapter was necessary uh, to, to, to just see the, the colossal Titans in action. And Isayama definitely didn't disappoint. We had like 50,000 double page spreads. We had some bird symbolism. We had some World War One technology on there. I think the ships that they're on are called Mikasa ships or something. You know, it, it was kind of everything that I wanted physically from the spectacle of the rumbling. So when I first read the chapter, I'd say it was like a nine out of 10, but just surely because of hype and the music and just, you know, I was in a voice school just, just screaming with my friend because it was, you know, such a climactic moment. Um, but then now that I've like mellowed down, talked about it a bit and, you know, reread the chapter, I found it a bit lackluster in some ways. We can get into that later, but as of now, I'd probably rate it a six or a seven out of 10. And Sephora, what about you? What were your chapter impressions, your overall chapter impressions? Yeah. So on first read, like you said, hated it. Found it extremely painful. Uh, <laughs> couldn't look at anything related to Attack on Titan for several days. Came back to it a little bit later. Um, I can't give it like a number rating because like, I just refuse to. It depends on how things play out, how I uh, feel about the events of this chapter. But at the very least, it's interesting to me. It's the chapter that's given me the most to think about in a long time. And that's where I get most of my enjoyment of the series too. Just thinking and overthinking and picking things apart and coming up with crazy theories. So it's given me like new fuel for that. And I appreciate it for that. But maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I need to listen to music next time and it'll, it'll make it better. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. We all need to get in on Saul's voice call and uh, yeah. Listen to some like, yeah, season three <laughs> OST. Just uh, when the bass drops in, it's just insane. <laughs> doesn't matter if doesn't matter if thousands of people are dying, you know, it's just epic. It's when the epic bass music drops, just makes though. up for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Luna? Well, just like Saul, I was uh, reading it with a friend. Um, I don't know which version you read, but we read the worst of the three fanlations with some. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. So we, we had a blast reading the chapter just because of like all the translations. It was like Kodansha at its, at its prime, you know, like repeated speech, but, uh, yeah, text bubbles and the fan fiction of Historia wanting Aaron's child. It was, it was awesome. So yeah, I, I read this chapter a couple of times in all sorts of different translations. I'm not really sure how I feel about it because it kind of reminds me of my least favorite chapter in the Marley arc, which is still my favorite arc, uh, which was where we see Annie Reiner and Bertolt break through Wall Sheena because it felt like a lot of repetition and just kind of displaying what we already knew. And that's kind of how I feel with this chapter, although I guess we never really knew for sure, but I always felt that this was the way the story was going to go. So I felt, yeah. Not a lot happened for me, this chapter. This might have well been the Corona chapter. So, um, or sorry, this might have been the Miss Rona chapter. I don't want to get demonetized, although we are not getting monetized <laughs> anyway. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, for me, it's like I gave it a three out of five. So I guess a six out of 10. 
there's some good part in it. I, my favorite part was probably the art, this chapter. Oh, it was so good. There were nine double page spreads in this. Uh, I mean, it just screamed volume closing chapter. I, you know, mm-hmm. he always does like these really, he really focuses on the art in volume closing chapters. This one, I don't care what, what form you read it in. It screamed, this one closes a volume. And I do think that our speculation last month that maybe he's made the switch to digital. Some of those panels, I cannot imagine were not digitally done. The devilish attack titan, that one was definitely digital. And I'm, I'm glad he did. At least for some parts, at least he's made the switch to digital. It really makes a good difference. It makes his artwork a lot cleaner, which was one of the main gripes I used to have with his artwork. It's like, no, there's too many lines. It looks like a sketch. So what were your feelings, Montaku? Did you enjoy the chapter? Or did you particularly enjoy the discussion that came forth from this chapter? And so this one was a mixed bag for me. So like, like I didn't see a lot of, you know, shocking new information here. But what it did was it shut down some of the theories that I've always thought were sort of like fringe fandom, fandom theories anyway, like that the Ackermans are slaves. I was so happy to see that one finally put to the death that it deserved, you know, that Mikasa was a slave to Aaron. I have been waiting for that. And I'm very grateful we got that, um, you know, spelled out and as plain language as possible for the people in the back. I was also hugely appreciative that Historia was not a Jaegerist. Like, I, I know that the ending of that scene, people are choosing to read it how they want, but her reaction is exactly what I wanted. And it was, it felt really good for me to be able to go into various discord servers. I didn't do this, but I would have loved to and just said, I told you so, but you know, and then the third thing that it settled that should, I think should never have been an issue in the first place was that um, flock was only pretending to know Aaron's plan that flock was like, had taken advantage of a situation, which he did, but that he was lying about Aaron. And like that scene that got me, like I, actually felt sympathy for Flock in that moment. Like I, that was not the way I was expecting that to go. So in that sense, the chapter was really good for me because it just settled things that I thought should have already been settled. The discussion around the chapter has been incredibly hard for me, obviously. Uh, the rumbling at the end was fantastic. Fantastic. And Swimming Titans, hell yeah. It was great. So I, I was also, I'm also kind of in the six, seven out of 10 range. You know, I have concerns. I just, I wish I knew, like Saflora said, I don't want to express like full love for it until I know where the story goes. I don't want to get burned. So I have the potential to really love this chapter. Maybe that's how I'm going to (laughs) go. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. So let's go ahead and dive into our conversation. The first thing I wanted to focus on was the fact that it seems like in this opening pages, again, there's a huge contrast that's being set up. We have the opening panel where I'm going to air quote, the Avengers are talking. And, you know, this is a group of people who are putting their lives, their friendships on the line. And Hanji states the reasoning as we're doing this basically for complete strangers. Um, We're doing this for people we don't know. In fact, they might have to kill their closest friends to accomplish this. And then we have Aaron Yeager, who's doing the exact opposite. We finally see the rumbling where he's killing an entire world of mostly strangers just for the benefit of a few friends. And I was curious what you guys thought about this. Is that a contrast that's deliberately being drawn? Like, is that moment, are we supposed to look at that and choose sides who we think is doing the right thing? Or uh, what are your thoughts on that? I guess I'm curious about these people who have not 
yet chosen sides or who have not yet made up their mind about whether the rumbling is a good or bad thing. I don't think there was anything in this chapter to like make somebody make up their mind or change their mind if they haven't already, but whether it was a deliberate comparison, I hadn't actually noticed it. So (laughs) maybe it was, but I was just a little bit dense. I spent most of my time looking at every moment after this part. I think um, I think the, the the difference in perspective is definitely intentional. Uh, as far as how it was portrayed in this chapter, I didn't really think think that much about how you know at the beginning it's it's Hans essentially saying we're doing this for people we don't know, and then Aaron who's <laughs> doing it, killing strangers for people he does know. And I guess in hindsight that makes a lot of sense. I think. <laughs> It, it's it's difficult to talk about the rumbling because uh, what's so funny about wanna, like, genocide? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> because like you got to discuss these things like very much in the context of uh, of the story. Like as far as my personal views go, like yeah, I I I don't think genocide is good, but um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but um. Sorry. Like, you know, Leslie is taking notes right now. Like, he's listening to this podcast, <laughs> waiting for you to say it's um, Waiting yeah, for you. Yeah. Everyone. But, um, <laughs> for waiting for you to say it. <laughs> but um, as, as far as the context of the actual conflict goes, there, there, there's a difference in the numbers that they're killing, but their core motivations kind of remain the same. In so far, in that I'm of the belief that Aaron's doing this because he sees this as the only viable option to establish long-term security and survival of Eldians on Paradise and not place the burden of this impossible problem onto future generations. I don't think his his solution is correct, but I can I can understand how Aaron thinks that's the only solution that's possible to go forward with. To fix it in the rest of the four years that he's alive, whereas um, the dichotomy of uh, of of the uh, the alliance, I also think they're justified. Long story short, you're confessing to being a Brexiter. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's difficult to discuss the rumbling because I like to discuss it through the perspective of Aaron, but I don't want people to mix the perspective of Aaron with my own perspective. Well, you laughing like a maniac while talking about it certainly helped your case. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because it's, it's 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 awkward because it's it, it's such like a it's such a serious topic and God. Like I cannot believe we're having these conversations. You know, every time we get these chapters, <laughs> yeah. and I have these perfectly sensible conversations with people, and I'm just I can't help but think, how did I get here? How did this happen? Yeah, <sighs> I think I think these moral problems are definitely supposed to make the reader think and, like me, feel awkward in discussing them because they're just so serious in their ramifications. I I think I I saw the difference between the two in the chapter, but I also saw the parallels between the two insofar as Aaron is doing this because he believes that it will protect the people he cares about and the Alliance are also motivated by protecting the people they care about but they ex- they extend that to the entirety of humanity rather than just one side of it 
That's an interesting take on it as well, I guess. I Yeah, I don't think it was a deliberate contrast that was being drawn. It's just another summation of how the story has been playing out for Aaron vis-a-vis his friends. So I, I did know. see it as a contrast, as a deliberate contrast. I mean, and the other contrast that I thought was interesting was Annie basically done killing right as Aaron's just starting his like Aaron is just now starting his killing and they're just tired of it and it just it 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 broke me like seeing Annie this month absolutely broke me you know I'm definitely team Avengers I struggle every month to not hate Aaron Yeager so it's hard it's hard so you know I see I see them in the opening thing doing what I perceive as the noble move you know, and just, just how broken and worn they are, especially as Hanji tells them that their families are probably all dead, which I don't believe, but, you know, that is another another topic later on. And we got our glimpse of Sleepy Reiner. So, Luna, I'm sure you have thoughts there. Was it Sleepy Reiner? What did I miss? How, how would you describe Reiner? I don't know. He was leaning against the wall. In- he looked out of it. Yeah, well, he's like sweating kind of out of it. He looks at uh, Pierre and Gabby who are just, well, Gabby's just traumatized. Isayama does that thing where like he draws the eyes, but draws like lines over the eyes, which just shows how dead inside characters are. Yeah, so you had like looking really sad, Gabby. Yeah, just in disbelief and shock and Annie just giving up and Reiner was just, you know, sweating against the doorway and and can we appreciate the range Reiner had this chapter he held that pose the entire scene and we saw him from four different angles that was amazing like highlight of the chapter incredible incredible indeed I mean you you could you could argue that was intentional because he's so shocked at the news that he he just can't move he just can't do anything hmm would he I don't know who he only has like Kaidina left. And I don't know how he feels about his aunt and uncle, like, but I'm sure he feels bad for Gabby. You have best mom, Karina. <laughs> oh, can't, can't wait for her to get paid. <laughs> that would be the only good thing to come out of the destruction of Liberio. Yeah. <laughs> Heard that. Oh, she will not be missed. <laughs> so does anyone here actually think Liberio has been destroyed? Liberio, yes. I think it's a matter of like whether Liberia has been destroyed, but also whether the people in it have been evacuated or not. Yeah, I'm of the mind that they they have been evacuated because I feel that the the riots that were briefly shown a few chapters ago have led to to something, and I feel like that may be explained, that may be you know explored and shown off screen. Well, next chapter and it happened off screen, but um, yeah, I'm I'm of the mind that they did do some evacuation, but Liberia. As far as we know, it's pretty much, yeah, trampled, rumbled. Yeah. I mean, the water side looks pretty evacuated, except for the military. I feel like we would have seen civilians like running through the streets or whatever, but we only see the military. So, Well, and it looked like the military was preparing for a horde of titans, so they knew mm-hmm. that the rumbling was coming. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they m- must have known, you know, through the aliens in the ghetto. Right, like exactly. they must have listened to them eventually. Now, how that all yeah. played yeah. out, we don't know. But you know, you see, I can't give it away because then Aaron Rumbling Liberio wouldn't have that shock value, right? Yeah. So we'll find they, out they, next they chapter have, that they're fine. <laughs> yeah, they they wouldn't have had the technology to scout out all across the sea to see where the the Titans are kind of 
coming from. So they probably, you know, got uh, got word from the Eldians all around the world uh, that this was happening and thus were able to prepare the military in advance. Because I think they mentioned that it's like not just Mali's military, but just like the military of the Global Alliance. And so mm-hmm. I don't know... Like, obviously, it must have been previously concentrated in Mali quite a bit, but still, it, it shows that there was a larger cooperation here to bring forth, you know, all the defensive force that they can muster up, implying that they might have listened to the Eldians and their warnings. Right. So hopefully that means they're evacuated, but yeah. Yeah. Let's hope. In other ways, yay, Karina is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of the crab rave music right now. <laughs> I know a lot of people have had that outstanding question. Why did Aaron announce it to everybody? You know, why not just announce it to the people of Paradise? Why broadcast it to the poor mucks living across the ocean who are going to die? So I think that this probably feeds into those theories that, you know, it provided them that time to evacuate. Of course, it also provided times for the troops to mobilize. So, you know, I'm, I get, would imagine Aaron's not afraid of that. He's got the colossal titans. Or it could have been a 200 IQ ploy to amass all the world's military in one place and destroy it. And then it's like, Ooh. oh yeah, I've, I'm, I've done my job now. I don't think that takes a 200 IQ. I, I but... think it's, I think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he would, he, he looks pretty hellbent on destroying the world. I, I'd like yeah. to stay positive. No, I was going to, I was going to but... say that it's contradicted by the fact that the Titans keep moving forward. Yeah. Uh, after they destroyed the military. So He's pretty hell-bent on just destroying things. And you could argue like, oh, you know, he warned the Eldians and they had evacuated. So he's only, he, he's pretending to kill everyone, but he's really not. You know, he's only going he's through all the show. ghettos in all the world. Yeah, it, it's like at this point, like those kind of arguments just seem like cope at this point. Uh, yeah. Like they're just in denial. Uh, How you're holding it's on. It's not impossible though. <laughs> You say, you're telling me that's a chance. Like, yeah. 1% yeah. chance is still a chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might win the lottery someday, Sephora. I think that's more likely. Exactly. <laughs> if, if that's what happens, I'm going to start playing the lottery, I think. <laughs> Laura, you your theory was that he was going to cause massive destruction first. It's not yeah, like you exactly. didn't think he was going to completely decimate you know, swabs of things so right right I, I you know i remember specifically saying it was going to be bloody it was going to be awful it was going to be you know you're you're not delusional yeah. about that no there's there's going to be a lot of devastation how long it goes on and whether he intends to like go the whole way we still don't know so <laughs> so uh what do you guys think Annie will will do f- from here on out because she, she kind of says like i don't want to fight anymore she didn't she wasn't fighting to save the world. She was fighting to go see her dad. And now that she thinks he's dead, like what's left for her? Where is she going to go? Is she going to do anything? Does she have any role to play in this story? Well, I, I if, yeah, I, I think that there was a poll answer, which was pretty much this. And I think the majority of the results, if they're, if, if they're still the same, was that she'll eventually kind of get over it and still fight for the the greater good per se and i i think that'll be the case as well i mean her character has had a had a history of um not necessarily acting in self-interest but just being disinterested in the big global geopolitics of the world and just wanting to to 
fight for her own well-being and the well-being of those that she cares about. And I think just her core motivation has been to come back to her father. So the news that he may be dead is definitely like a massive blow. The idea that he may be dead or most likely is dead definitely is like a hamper to her resolve. But I feel like because she has rational, empathetic people around her that will help build her up. Whereas before, in uh, when she was acting as a secret agent in Paradise, she had Reiner and Bertolt. Bertolt was just, you know, Bertolt. <laughs> and Reiner was just, you know, uh, just being insincere and incoherent. So um, I think the fact that she has a decent support network around her, if that's the right term, she'll find her priorities. And it could always be that in the future, uh, her father, after starting the uh, the protest in Liberia, he did escape. And there may be a scene where they're reunited and Annie gains her resolve back and fights for the greater good or whatever. I really hope she gets that moment with her father. I would love to see her fight before she knows that he's alive, like if he's alive, which I think he could be. Yeah, I don't see her leaving the Alliance. I think Hanji's already talked her into staying and fighting, like talking about the goth. That's what it seemed like to me anyway. Well, she was at least trying. I'm actually surprised by the poll that 20, well, let's see, we've got 1,200 responses now. It's been alive for about 24 hours that like 27% think that she will leave the Alliance. I'm, I'm actually mm-hmm. surprised that number's that high. Me too. Although if she does, I expect she will reunite with her father. Like we'll get that emotional moment where she's with him again, because otherwise I can't imagine why Isayama would have brought her back after all these years if she's done already. You know, like I know we're going to get a little more something from her whether it's staying mm-hmm. with the Alliance or whether it's um, going to die with her father. Uh, I just can't imagine that this would be it for her. Yeah. And I cannot imagine her getting off at Odia. Like, what is she going to do there? She might as well see this through to the end, my opinion. Yeah. There's nothing else to do but fight at this point. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh... Turns out Isayama has been watching a lot of Family Guy because I know because of him I've got the Bird is the Word song stuck in my head. Last chapter we had Falco's Titan. This chapter we have birds everywhere. Here's a bird, there's a bird. Everyone gets a bird. It's like the Oprah show. <laughs> birds. So what do they mean? There's birds in the, in the opening page. What did he mean by this? Why, why yeah. are the birds? Why are the birds everywhere? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, have you guys seen some of the theories? Or I know you haven't, Saflora, because you've been out of commission or you've been avoiding reading yeah. a lot about the chapter. Soul, I've have been, you like, been on emotional you... bed rest, basically. Yes. Soul, have you read any of the bird theories? Like, Aaron is the bird? Yeah, that that's the only one that I have heard of. Okay. And, I mean, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no, he isn't the bird. <laughs> no, I'm... <laughs> No, um, I think it's, I think the bird is just used, obviously as, you know, it's, it's a narrative device to, to symbolize freedom, freedom, live me freedom. Um, <laughs> and also just as, just as a good scene transition, it's just like, if you have like something flying in the air from going one di- one direction to another, it's just a good, like artistic transition to move to the next scene whilst reinforcing that freedom symbolism so i don't think it goes much deeper than that um if it does then 
I'll eat my shoe then. <laughs> like, I, I want to see a live recording of that for sure. I'll tattoo a bird on my arm. <laughs> that might be a better alternative. <laughs> If Aaron is the bird, yeah, I will tattoo a bird on my arm, but uh, I, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, you, you never do know. You never know with anything that's happening right now. But I did have a thought about the bird. Well, not so much about the bird, but about um, like kind of how the device is being used, if that's how to say it. But I'm, I'm curious, I guess, about this bird's eye view concept, especially because we have like the attack titan who's far seeing and the founding titan who's like far seeing, can reach across minds, can reach into like another dimension, basically. Um, I've written a little bit about how Amir can kind of surveil her subjects. Like she can see what's happening out in the world. So to me, like in this chapter specifically, the appearance of this bird here sort of suggests to me this feeling that someone is watching. I'm not saying that the bird is like literally the eyes of Amir or Aaron or anything like that. I'm just saying it's like a symbolic suggestion of that concept, especially like when we get back to, when we get to the memory shatter thing, uh, we have that, memory, I guess, of Falca reaching up to the bird, implying that this viewpoint came from somebody who wasn't really there, that we didn't know was there. Uh, we don't really understand how that vision came to Aaron. I think it has something to do with Amir. And we see a lot of other instances in, the, in this chapter, too, um, separate from birds, where it really feels like there's some kind of visual implication that there is another presence there like there's somebody watching there's surveillance going on in some way that got that reminds me of like that that weird panel early on where Aaron sees his uh sees Frida Reese very briefly like and that definitely was the impression that somebody was watching like that you know that ties exactly into what you're saying yeah yeah so that's kind of the vibe that I get I don't know if the bird is necessarily important in itself. I think it's just like, if we didn't see the bird, if we were just looking from above, that doesn't necessarily suggest anything. That's just like, oh, the audience is seeing this view. But if you have some kind of, some kind of being, it gets you thinking about like watching, you know, the bird's eye thing. It does feel like Aaron is aware of the ship carrying his friends, tugging the, um, the boat. Like it does. I do think, I don't think that those panels are placed over his word belt. Like, do you think he's aware? Do you think he actually using paths magic can see what, see where they're at and what they're doing? I, I don't know if he always could, but I think maybe now that he's kind of combined with Amir, it's possible. And I have maybe kind of a wacky idea about um, the three Titans that he holds and kind of what their powers are. So I don't know, maybe I can talk about that a little bit. Well, let me just ask you this then. As we see that boat moving in those opening panels, do you think Aaron is witnessing it? Or is it just, you know, here's a panel of the boat? I mean, do you think this is, is, is seeing them coming to get him what triggers the conversation? I wonder where it all started. Or is, is, are they a separate thing? I don't know. I mean, I think it's possible that he knows where they are because of, Maybe specifically the Warhammer Titan, I'm not sure. That's like where I get a little fringe and crazy and like there's actually nothing really to support it, but it's just an idea I had. Maybe, maybe I should talk about that a little bit now. Yeah, go ahead. So we know that 
the attack titan can kind of transcend time. That's how Grisha described it. it. Transcends time. It can see into the future in a way. And physically, like in its power, that's represented by its like quality of always moving forward. And then we've got the founding titan that's connected with the paths dimension. And it can like transcend others' minds and kind of transcend dimensions and stuff. And that's represented physically by its power of the scream and like its memory altering that kind of thing. And then the Warhammer Titan, I think is really interesting and I want to know more about it. I don't know if we're going to get it, but like it has the power of manifesting physical objects and it's got that remote like control pod thing that's suggestive of it being able to transpin, tr- or transcend space in a way. Like it's separated in space. And so I feel like Maybe the way they all seem to have like this more immediate, concrete power, and then this more abstract, like transcendental power. Maybe the Warhammer t- Titan has something to do with like, uh, I guess Aaron having the Warhammer Titan. Maybe now he can like astral project or something. If we're getting real crazy, but you know, like I said, it's it's kind of out there. It's just you know fun to think about. I do think that's kind of what's amazing about this chapter is that we're this close to the end, and we're still getting the ability to write or to have to, you know, really put on our thinking caps and, and, you know, our tinfoil <laughs> hats even better because none of this makes yeah. sense. So we're having to come up with theories to, I mean, there are those that are going along for the ride, but for the, for the most of us who've been following this passionately, you know, what's happening here. And yeah. So <laughs> I, I thought, I figured by now we'd be done with the theories and we're not, there's still so much that cannot be explained at this point. So, you know, when yeah. you propose these theories, I'm just like nodding along. Like, mm-hmm. It could happen. It could I mean, happen. That, that's what makes it fun. I mean, I will say like the whole words thing and different memory shards we saw this chapter are rising. You know, they're bringing up more questions for me than they are answers at this point. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. We're so close to the end. How are you still <laughs> doing this to me? Stop. <laughs> True to form. Mm. I think the most exciting thing about this chapter, like you were saying, is the fact that there's so much to theorize on. And Isayama dropping in that in the memory shatter the uh, the panel of Bert and the one of Falco. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for for the portions of the fandom that are not involved in the shipping wars that flamed from this chapter, um, so much to think about. And I don't I, again. I think we were discussing before we started recording, you really haven't had a time, a lot of time to read ideas, but we've got the new mm-hmm. memory of Fescoon. We've got the memory shatter mm-hmm. with uh, the moment when Dinah ignored Bert to go for Carla. Like, have you seen any of the theories about that? I, I can imagine what people are thinking with that. I think, so they think that Aaron caused all of this yeah. to happen or like set his child self on this path by orchestrating the death of his mother. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Mm. I, I think because there was already such a twist with Carla, not Carla, Dina, <laughs> that's the right mum, uh, being the <laughs> Titan, that I think adding another twist to it kind of cheapens the actual reveal and significance of that scene. I, I think because uh, the death of his mother was such a traumatic event for Aaron, it makes sense that he'd want to... Uh, set his life on this path from a hindsight perspective as an adult. But at the same time, it would make the nature of that scene, 
you know, his mother's death entirely inorganic. And I guess that's kind of the question, whether it was all constructed by Aaron or not. Well, I like the idea of his motivations being born in an kind of an organic way caused by the conflict, not by his meddling, essentially. I mean, at least his, at least his childhood uh, motivations. I mean, he's he said on the path because his mother passed, but like his adult self perhaps made that happen, which I think could have some merit in the sense that. You know, if if that all never happened, then Aaron wouldn't have become the person he is. And I think Parody would have been sitting ducks for the rest of the world. I just think his initial trauma being so manufactured cheapens it, in my opinion. I, but, can, I can understand that. But, e- but even yeah. if it was orchestrated by an adult Aaron, it would make narrative sense in a way for him to set himself on that path. But I don't know, I, I think... It, it's. It, I prefer it if his motivations were born as a result of conflict outside of his control, rather than, you know, himself, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also prefer that. We got an ask from Kingsgrave on Twitter, who specifically is talking about this moment. He says, in this chapter, we see a memory shard of Bert from the perspective of Dinah's Titan. We know that Dinah, at the moment, ignored him and everyone else going directly to Carla's house. So again, the question we were just talking about, is it possible Aaron controlled Dinah here? But the one that I'm more interested in, how would you feel about Aaron if this were true? And I think you already touched on that, Sol. Yeah. So what about you, Saflora? Let's see. So is it possible that Aaron controlled Dinah here? Well, yeah, you know me. Anything's possible. <laughs> um, how would I feel about Aaron if it were true? <laughs> sad (laughs) how would I feel I mean sure why not kill your mom at this point like if if what you're doing is really what you're doing like he's he's pulled out all the stops he's gone to every extreme I guess one more isn't all that shocking to me it's it's a little bit disappointing and it makes me feel like it's it doesn't feel like him to me but who knows who Aaron is anymore. So I I think I'm with Soul that I prefer that Aaron was not orchestrating things in his life from that point. I do think that Amir is possibly involved here. Kind of the way, I don't know, I think she's implicated in both the Falco image and the Burt Dinah image. It's plausible that Aaron is controlling Dinah. It is not that he is that he saw that scene with Falco. That had to be something else because there were no like Titans or anything else there. So I think I think that's a mirror, and it makes me think that it's also a mirror kind of looking through Dinah at Bert. And I don't know if she could do that with like all the Titans, all of them being her subjects or whatever. Or maybe she can do it with this one because it's royal-blooded and it's like a direct, directly one of her descendants. But if it was from her perspective, she might have controlled it. Because we know all this time that she has been leading Aaron to her for some reason. And if that was what it took to kick things off and get him on this path that led him to her, then that makes sense to me. I was thinking about that post you wrote. Aaron specifically says to Emir you led me here. And ever Mm -hmm. since I've read that, thinking about this chapter, 
I feel like it implicates Amir as well. Mm-hmm. It just seems like Aaron's whole life has been, well, obviously his whole life has been leading to this moment, right? And the death of his mother being such a critical moment of that. So if it turns out that it's Emir who kind of orchestrated the death of his mother, yeah, I, don't, I would prefer that over Aaron being the one orchestrating it. But I yeah, do think, I mean, Isiyama just can't drop panels there. And, and I mean, we got to get an explanation for this. I hope we get an explanation mm-hmm. for this. Yeah, because a lot of people have, you know, it's caught their attention. They have, you know, pointed it out. I, I think as far as the Ymir thing, uh, as far as leading Eren to her, I always interpreted that as like she led Eren to him in a sort of, uh, because she, she lived a life of constantly repressing her emotions. So the attack titan and its its nature was sort of born out of this unconscious desire to uh, escape those chains per se. And, you know, Aaron happened to be the one to inherit it. And sorry, I know this is like entering like an entirely new topic and discussion, but it, it could be the case and I could be wrong, but I, I normally just interpreted Ymir as having unconscious desires to be free, but never explicitly meddling in affairs. But if it turns out that she is, she is like, she has some part in swaying the way the story goes as far as the, the, the Dina stuff, then fair enough. I think we have one example of her explicitly meddling in affairs when she heals Zeke. She brought him to paths. And at, at one point, I thought that maybe that was just like his royal blood and it was like some extra perk of being who he was or something. But if you look back at like what he's thinking about, when like while he's dying before he wakes up in path and he's getting fixed by Emir, it's the conversation with Aaron where he says that he is going to be the one to put an end to 2000 years of history under Titan rule. And there's something in the conversation that makes it clear that they need to be in contact for him to access paths. That's a very good point. It seems to me that Emir is aware of these thoughts that Zeke is having and is like, Oh, I need this guy around. I'm going to fix him. Yeah, hence why, you know, the Titan came out of the forest randomly and like, I mean, was it Zeke that ordered that or like, I, I but, but because, you know, Zeke, Zeke, Zeke was half a body, but then a Titan came towards him and like, you know, right. healed him by extension. But I, like, I doubt Zeke would have, wouldn't have had like the conscious energy or ability yeah. to actually command a Titan to heal him. So that was definitely part of your Or the knowledge that, that was possible that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Zeke was just as shocked as anyone when he came out of the steaming titan womb. Yeah, yeah. Healed again. Right. So, yeah. so no, that's, that's a good point. So Amir can intervene. Well, and going back to Arya Amir, Freckled Amir, her vision of paths, I've always mm-hmm. felt like was Amir interfering, intervening. Yeah, me too. Like, why did our Amir get that vision of paths when she did so rather than it all being entirely unconscious as far as far as the attack titan being born there are small interventions of rebellion for her position with her intervention with uh these kind of you know little titan you know keeping certain characters alive swifting certain events in a way uh so that does make it a lot more interesting um mm-hmm. i haven't thought too much about the ramifications of that but that's still i mean chap- chapter one to you in two thousand years could that be emir talking to aaron oh for sure oh yeah we've got our still got our first mystery set up that we don't have the answer to 
Yeah. But Aaron is the child after 2000 years. There's also when he's talking about like, okay, where did this start? And we see that picture of him sitting under the tree with Mikasa and then we see the pigs. And then we see Grisha, a young Grisha at what I can only imagine is Aaron's birth. Yes. So, you know, obviously Aaron can't remember that. So it, it suggests to me that there's some other entity either in him or seeing through him at that moment that remembers this, this like landmark moment of the birth of who will be the attack Titan or the, the destroyer or savior of something. That panel was interesting to me too, because it was all about beginnings and, you know, the words that accompany, accompany it are, I wonder where it all started. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have our introduction to the story, which is kid Aaron and Mikasa, which was also his dream, how it all started with Emir, how it all started with Aaron's birth. And then of course, how it all started with Aaron kissing his story's hands. And the pigs. The pigs, yes. The pigs started. (laughs) See, we had thought the pigs started it all, but this is giving us competition there. Yeah. (laughs) I really am impressed with Isayama pulling these moments together with the words. I wonder where it all started. Like this was And it just reinforces it 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 doesn't matter where all these events are interrelated, interwoven in each other and have led to this current outcome. Yeah. I, I just love that that aspect of just interweaving all these all these different parts of the story together uh, to create a message. Uh, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, that leads us right into the long-awaited Aaron POV, which starts with the words, I wonder where it all started. Back there, it doesn't matter where. Even if all of this was set in stone from the start, even if all of this was what I wanted, it's still ahead of us. And that's just one sentence, but there's so much to unpack there because it introduces the question that I think a lot of us have been asking, is this all inevitable? Did Aaron have a choice? Is this a self-fulfilling prophecy? And so it sounds like from what you just said, it doesn't matter. Like it was all going to happen anyway. But so Flora, I think I'm most curious about your thoughts here. Is Aaron an unreliable narrator at this moment? Is this really what he always wanted or is he trying to maybe justify that he had to do it? What, what, how did you read this initial Aaron viewpoint? It's a really interesting question. And especially the thing about him being an unreliable narrator, I hadn't really given much thought to that. Well, first of all, I think the, the question of whether it's fate or a self-fulfilling prophecy is unanswerable at this point. The story may, in fact, be making the point that it is unanswerable. I think its unanswerability is exactly what Aaron is unsure of and what has been torturing him all this time, first of all. Um, and maybe for that reason, he has become unreliable. Like I think we've known for a while that he's at least somewhat unreliable, just in the sense that um, his words and his actions have forced us to question when he's telling the truth. Um, and now we've been given proof that at one point, like for, for sure he lied, like when he was talking to Mikasa in 112. So he is a liar at some points. That's not from a first person thing. From a first person perspective, I think it's unclear whether he's a reliable or unreliable narrator. But the fact that he opens his narration with a question, with his own uncertainty, I think makes it plausible I think he's been unsure of what he actually wants for a long time. And I really like that. Um, I love that because like even that word want can be 
an extremely tricky word for somebody whose sense of self is compromised. I'm starting to think, like just in the last couple of days here, that that's really where the story could be going. And I would be excited to see it explore that concept of just like, what is a self? Where does a will come from? And how much control do we really have over our minds? For anybody who's like aware of having a mind separate in some way from their self, it can be confusing to know where the will toward anything is coming from and how much of it really belongs to you or whatever part of your consciousness you perceive that you to be, um, like how much you're actually in control of yourself. Especially with Aaron. Like he literally contains other entities too, like several of them. Yeah. So I think that's really like an extreme representation of that phenomenon that a lot of people experience. Mm. I think that there's a reason at this part where he's like considering this, that we get another glimpse of his horrified face at that moment of revelation. Um, It's to remind us that he was horrified, that he saw something that that part of him at that moment did not want. It's possible that since that time, he's been convincing himself that the future he saw is what he wanted in order to defend himself from like feelings of powerlessness in the face of like an unchangeable future. I think we've seen him struggle with that. I think some of the views that we get of Aaron in this chapter kind of suggest this, this concept of like self alienation and depersonalization and compare that with Reiner who we know experienced depersonalization. I don't think that's what Aaron was consciously referring to when he told Reiner that he's the same as him. But I think we've been invited to find as many comparisons between the two or parallels as we can. And that's, that's, potentially one of them. That's just the development of this extreme psychological defense mechanism in the face of some kind of trauma. Like he's got his own type of fractured mind going on, possibly. Does that make sense? Definitely. Well, to me, it does. (laughs) Those are like really good points. And it's stuff that I haven't actually thought too much about, but I I understand like where you're getting it. I, I also, um, like to, just to add on, like I, I did find this entire concept kind of like a funny meta commentary on how Eren is a slave to Isayama because who <laughs> controls the fates? Who controls the fates of the story? It's all in the writer. And so Eren, as a character, is looking up to Isayama like, please don't make me do this stuff. But it's like, no, it's already part of my my canon. So uh, you're going to have to follow it, mate. And um, he's like, oh, yeah. God. So, yeah. But yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. I wish I like, I actually wrote some more ex- like extensive note on this theme of... Uh, is it predeterminism or yet determinism or whatever? Because I think it's a really interesting um, concept, especially with the, you know, I I forgot what chapter it was revealed of the Attack Titans' true power, but um, that's kind of been in the consciousness of the fan base whether all this was preordained or not. And I, I I really like themes like that. I think it's interesting, and you know, if if you look at Aaron's character through that perspective that he wasn't necessarily forced to follow these flows of events, but he, he kind of was. <laughs> uh, it could ease your, uh, it could ease one's moral disgust at his current actions 
if, if yeah. that makes sense. But um, yeah. But yeah. at the same time, I, I, I haven't given this enough thought and it's quite a deep subject. So I kind of feel bad that I can't give a deeper answer, but I think uh, Sephora's kind of- No, sorry to just like spring enough, it so. like that, yeah. Yeah. You're getting another video yeah. out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> do it, do it. Isayama is the monster of the story now. <laughs> God. As long as you release it before Kanye West becomes president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I actually like the theory that Aaron set everything in motion because if he hadn't been the person he was today and if those events hadn't happened to, you know, in his childhood, then Paradis would never have changed and they would have never known about the outside world and they would have just waited for them to come and take their resources and basically exterminate everyone on the island. So, you know, him kind of nudging Dinah towards his mother might have been like, well, she's going to die anyway if I can save the rest of the population by doing this. I mean, it's I don't think it's that's the case, but... I I would kind of like it in a way if he had some sort of hand in it. But then you guys also mentioned like Emir also saving Zeke. Like I think she's trying to claw her way out of this eternal doom dimension because she's been stuck there for 2000 real world years. But we all know that time there passes like super slowly. She's, she must have been going mental, like all alone, just sad to play with. And an occasional royal family member who comes to say hi. And that's it. Yeah, I, I like it when you think deeper about this stuff. It just, it just shows. Um, it, it it just brings up so many doubts. It, it it just brings forth like the ambiguity of Aaron's character. Insofar as mm. is he the way he is because he was born that way? Either I don't know the freedom gene, the shonen <laughs> protagonist gene. Do you know? Yeah. Or is he that way because he intervened? in his life or is it both or is it or is it you know fates out of forces out of his control that's what i think as well like even if he like emir or other forces that may or may not be are involved even if he influenced his childhood self from the future you know he still is who he is like any other child might yeah. have reacted completely differently to that traumatic yeah. event. But he was, you know, he turned that way because he is that way. So it all plays together. It's not just one singular answer. Yeah, it's both. I'm thinking back to like the the scene. I don't, I'm not sure if this was before even Armin showed Eren the book that had facts about the outside world in it. Mm -hmm. when, when Eren was killing like those two men. Yeah. That's supposed to be representative now of how he's always been this way since he was born, how he's always had, he's always been different in, you know, the levels of his resolve and the lengths he's willing to go for his ideals. And so is he that way because he's just born that way? It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. The portraying Aaron this way is, is like definitely intentional. Oh yeah. Like, like at, at post time skip, like, the, the main interest of his character lies in his ambiguity yeah. and how we're grappling for answers. Mm -hmm. We're just all trying to eat the little breadcrumbs Isayama lays yeah. out for us. 
and hoping there's not like some wicked witch at the end of the pack yeah. with a big ass <laughs> often. Because that's why even Eren fans, there's such a diversity of opinion. It's like, oh, he's always been this 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 way. Like he's doubling down on his worst aspect. It's like, no, he's actually really deep and nuanced. No, he views characters <laughs> like this way. Oh no, no, but he's a slave to fate. And it's like, oh, all these differences in, uh, in opinion. It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I do think when I listened back to that 112 podcast that we recorded with you, Solon, we were all very adamant on the fact that we desperately wanted Aaron to be free will, that, you know, he, he does do what he, you know, what he wants. he, he is making yeah. in control. He is making the decisions. Like that's the whole point of his character is that yeah. he is freedom. But thinking about it now and what we're seeing and how fate keeps being brought up, even Aaron himself here saying, you know, where does it where did it start? It doesn't matter that this was inevitable. So his own admittance that maybe there is no freedom. And it reminds me of like Irwin, his whole thing was to find the truth. And of course, we had um, Kruger step in and say, really, what is the truth? There is no truth. Truth truth doesn't exist. And now we have Aaron, Mr. Freedom. It didn't matter how this began. It was inevitable. You know, is it going to be that there is no freedom? That is Aaron going to be the one to realize there is no freedom? Or is the point of his story that there is no absolute freedom? Yeah, that's a really like good point, especially as before in 112, I was very adamant that the entire purpose of his character is, you know, he's entirely free will, the embodiment of freedom, and he'll just go to any lengths. He just has a resolve that most characters don't, and he'll go to any length to pursue that ideal out of his own volition. But all this extra context brings that almost into doubt. Not not necessarily his resolve, but just the idea of freedom and if he embodies it. I mean... Can we go back to whatever podcast that I said that he doesn't embody freedom? He basically forced Historia to go ahead with the rumbling. He was like, <laughs> bitch, if you don't like it, I'll memory wipe you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there were some people saying that I wouldn't know freedom if it hit me in the face. But apparently freedom is like you having the freedom to make people do whatever you want. I don't know if that's what he meant there. Well, I mean, okay, I that's how I read it, like, the first four times I read it. And then, like, the fifth time, <laughs> he's like, if it's too much for you to endure, I'll manipulate your memories with the founding titan's power, if you can just stay quiet until then. So he expects, if you can stay quiet until then. So he expects her to go along with it, and then if it's too emotionally difficult for her, he can, like, ease her suffering with the founding titan's power. That's a very... Um optimistic way of reading that scene. Well, I mean, it says if it's too much for you to endure. I mean, she already said that she wasn't on board with it and that she didn't want to do it. And then she's, he's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And if you can't deal with it, I'll just, you know, make sure. Well, and not you- only to follow it up with, and you're going to help me because you're the worst girl in the world and this is all your fault anyway. Yeah. So. And that's one that I'm like, I, yeah, I, I don't understand that. But I thought that line was kind of cute. <laughs> I thought that line was cute. I don't know, like when I was reading it the first time with my friend, like uh, because you're the worst girl uh, in the world. I was like, oh, oh that's, a, that's a wholesome cool bag. Can I ask you oh. something? <laughs> yeah. Are you single? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> if, if you have enough charm, you can pull it off. But I don't think Aaron has that, has that charm. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's projecting charm through his eyes in that picture. 
let's bookmark the conversation with Historia because that's going to be such okay. a big topic. Yeah, to yeah. yeah. Let's break into the two smaller conversations that happened first. And these were also ones that um, I was, you know, really excited to see. And the first one was with Yelena. And I don't know about you guys, but I was like, I was expecting more from that. And I think because maybe I was a little bit of an Aaron optimist, I was hoping that she sort of like twisted his arm into or, or forced him into a corner or somehow set the ball in motion that he had to do these horrific things. And the conversation was like, none of that. It was, it was, it was just very, it was her apparently being very honest and open unless there's more coming. You know, I was no, not under the impression that he was arm twisted into this situation. Definitely not. Yelena's a nobody. I love her. I enjoy her a lot, but she's a nobody. Like she has nothing to do with it, what Aaron wants to do. Aaron has been on his own with him and his Titans and whatever forces are working at this. And it's, it's just between them. I, I never expected anything from that Yelena conversation. I think Yelena is only so enthusiastic to Aaron because Zeke likes him. So Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, I mean, she even says like her last line, Zeke believes in you. You should do the same for him. Like it's all about in Aaron is just a proxy for her to impress Zeke essentially. So I, um, I'm, it fits with her character in my opinion to be so excited and <laughs> enthusiastic about sharing her plan. So, yeah. It's been obvious that Aaron's kind of been set on this bed ever since he kissed Historia's hand. So I, I feel like now we know that whatever Yelena said couldn't have held that much weight. So I'm not surprised that the conversation went this way. She's being like, oh, great Zeke, my God, please follow him. And he's like, yo, let's kill everyone. But hush. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually the more interesting conversation of the two. The one he had with Flo. Because... I did yeah. not expect that reaction from Floch at all. And I must say, I gave him a lot of hate last podcast, which I felt I deserved. But I feel like this chapter, you finally felt human again. So, yeah, I really mm. enjoyed Floch this chapter. Same. I mean, he did ultimately go along with what Aaron said. He was like, oh, man, that's intense. But yeah, sure. Let's bring ruin to the world. Yeah, I mean, Flock was what Flock was shown like Aaron was giving his him orders, and then he replied. And as we're doing that, what do we really do? And like, it's shown that he he kind of lacks direction and lacks resolve. So perhaps Aaron took that as like, okay, I really need to like amp him up right now, so he's not a floating balloon. So I'll just you know say it, say this in the most blunt way possible. I'm going to kill all those animals or whatever. Uh, so it it could, I mean. I know that's a charitable interpretation, but he could have, you know, said things bluntly in that way as a means to mm. to amp up Flock's resolve and set him on the set him on the path that uh, make him play the role that he needed him to play. Essentially, yeah, that's kind of what I think. I mean, Aaron was Aaron heard him on the rooftop of Shiganshina saying that he believes he is still alive because his role is to bring the devil back because the devil is the only one that can lay waste to the Titans. And so he's like, Flock wants to bring the devil back. I'm going to be that devil. I'm going to get him in my corner and he's going to do what I need him to do. And I, I saw his shock as like shock, but shocked because he's just so excited <laughs> in a twisted way, just <laughs> at the prospect of like, 
of, you know, maybe seeing some Erwin in Eren being revived again. Yeah, I see him thinking, this is the terrifying devil we need. Oh, really? I didn't see that at all in his face. I just saw him, like, genuinely shocked. Oh, he's shocked. Like, it's it's kind of a horrifying but not like thing. A happy, but no, yeah. no, yeah, I don't... I don't think he's happy. I think he's... Oh, no, I, I kind of... Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily mean like he's happy, but more like he's shocked and then he comes to the revelation that this is what yeah. he believes the world needs. Enthusiastic has like a happy connotation, but you know what I mean? Like he's... Oh, he, like he the last panel, that's resolve. like him being like, oh, th- this could actually work to our advantage. This is a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I still read him as like... Is this is he serious? Is he is he still all there? That that was my interpretation of that. Mm. Well, I mean he he ultimately does go along with it. Yeah, so your interpretation makes more sense where Floch is right now in the story, but uh God, Aaron's eyes in that panel. <laughs> so so Flora, I was when we last recorded with you, I was very adamant on the topic, why would Aaron pick Flock Forrester of all people? And uh, it's something we waffled on. And I don't know if it's deliberate or not, or if I'm reading too much into it, but in this chapter, we almost get the answer to that. He overheard Yelena and Aaron talking. Like, Yelena is clearly not the brightest bulb in the head. Did he overhear? I mean, it looks like it. If you if you look at the chapter, as Yelena is, is telling Aaron, what he's doing, Flock is right there. Like he's in Aaron's room hanging out with him or something. He's eavesdropping mm-hmm. on them. Yeah. In the first panel, Flock is in his Survey Corps uniform as he is potentially, he's definitely side-eyeing the conversation. Whether he's in earshot or not, I don't know. But it must be later in the evening because he's in, um, he's out of his jacket. He's, they're sitting together again. And Aaron, it seems as though he's addressing the fact that Flock heard this conversation. And he's just saying, look, here's what we're going to do. So I'm curious about that. Like, does that, was Flock just happened to be the person there? Or were they, why were they together in the first place? Like, what, no, why I mean, I was Flock in Aaron's room listening to this conversation? Were they already sort of team players before this even began? I think he was already kind of helping Aaron. Aaron brought him along to this meeting um, and kind of like posted him outside, maybe with the intention that like he would hear what was going on, just like to keep him informed. Okay. That's just, I don't know, the vibe. So you think it was, a del- he'd, he'd chosen Flock to overhear, maybe to give him a sense of like the danger that they were under? I don't know. It's it's interesting that Flock was no, he listening needs, like, to Elena's conversation. Yeah, I think Aaron meant for him too. I think he brought him along intentionally. I thought, I think that he already was working with Flock in some capacity and intended to like expand that. So Flock was already his right hand man. Yeah. Yeah, because he he was the the pers- person closest around him who had the right temperament for you know with his sympathies to bringing bringing the devil back. Like he mm-hmm. he had the right mindset and temperament to be Aaron's plus one right. <laughs> essentially. So I, I think and and from the dialogue, so you see Flock like overhearing their conversation and the dialogue after their conversation is. You know, I'll follow Zeke's plan in appearance only. You do the same. Like, there seems to be like already like a familiarity mm-hmm. in motivations between the two. It's just funny because we did ask in the chapter 125 poll when Flock made that big announcement, Aaron Yeager told me. Nobody, nobody wanted to believe that. Nobody, we asked in the poll, 
was Flock telling the truth there in 125. And at that point, only 5.6% believed that Aaron told Flock everything. A good chunk of the fandom thought that Flock was just BSing to make himself look more important. So it's just funny how how wrong we oh, get. I still some don't think he things. told him everything. Well, okay. Well, 60% did say he told him a fair bit, but not everything. It seems like Flock got this, certainly got the broad strokes of what was going to happen here. There is like Titan nonsense going on that Flock doesn't need to know anything about. Yeah, the mm-hmm. predetermined stuff, like he doesn't need to know uh, all the memory shards and stuff. Like, I don't think he knows that. I think he must have picked Flock because Flock had the right temperament. Like, he must have already decided that Flock was going to be his right hand man. Because it, it shows that Aaron did listen to him in, in the. Uh, the uh what's, what's it called the return to the serenbol the oh, yeah. yeah shows that flock's words there did have some effect on aaron in truly understanding the 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 nature of his character well flock's character mm-hmm. so yeah this did make me a little more sympathetic to flock and i still hate the guy but at least i understand a little more now how he ended up where he is in this situation being who he is. So I wasn't expecting this flashback, but I was happy for it. Did you feel sympathy for him, Luna? Sympathy? No, why would I feel sympathy? Oh, I don't know. But he became more human to you. Yeah, he reacted like an actual human being instead of like this weird extremity, like either he's like little bitch or (laughs) he's this mastermind supreme ruler. Like... This this was human flog. This was a natural. This was the Isayama writing characters in a way that I love, and I missed it for a while. So I it w- I was very happy to see him like this. I think it shows the difference between how characters act in a in a private, trustworthy discussion and out in public to the world. Mm-hmm. Like Flock, definitely has the resolve and believes his actions are the right ones and that he's justified. But he's definitely you know, bigging up his persona for the public, essentially. I do also think uh, uh, it's kind of a re- an irrelevant point, but as far as like Flock being, having this temperament in the first place, I definitely think, yeah, it, it, it all stemmed from the suicide charge and how he was supposed to die then, but survived. And maybe it's some form of attachment to Erwin and survivor's guilt that, uh, that, that, you know, shaped him this way. Yeah. <laughs> Can we blame this all on Erwin, please? <laughs> all right. Shall we do this? Shall we get into the Historia conversation? Okay, let's do that. So before we head into our next topic, uh, Mamtaku prepared a little quick fire for us this time around. So let's hear it. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I have like, so Flora, I think I've read everything you've written. And so I've talked to you plenty, but I've never, like, I don't know how you would answer these questions. And I thought before we get into the Historia part, I would just like you to answer yes, no, or I don't know to just three questions. I'm scared. It's going to be, I don't know to we all of them. Be. I know it. <laughs> no, come on. You guys can do this. So um, before we get into the Historia topic, yes, no, or I don't know, the order is going to be Saflora. And then Sol and then Luna. And I'm pretty sure everyone knows where I stand on these things, but I will answer as well. So the first question, is this pregnancy authentic? (sighs) Probably. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Full stop. (laughs) 
And my answer is still no. I'm <laughs> reaching <laughs> through a screen still on the trying train. to strangle us. <laughs> okay. At the end of this chapter is the indication that Historia is supporting Aaron. Yes, no, or I don't know. Yes. Yes. No. No. Okay, last question. Is Aaron Yeager the baby daddy? Your answers, please. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, and of course I am oh, a no, no on that too. So we will discuss this further after the break. <laughs> See you in a few. Oh my God. <laughs> everyone welcome back so finally we're treading into our most dreaded topic of this podcast maybe of all our podcasts Aaron's conversation with Historia now I know where mom Taku stands on this she is still very much the pregnancy is a ruse and uh, she did not particularly care for their conversation this chapter so, Florence, so what were your thoughts uh, on Aaron and Historia's conversation? Uh, I'd like to start with Saflora. Oh, starting with me. Oh. Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, I kind of hated it, but I'm mostly just confused about a few things. First of all, like aside from the content of the conversation, I think this the thing that stood out to me the most was how it's visually presented, just like where we're standing, how we see the characters. It like really struck me that we're looking at their backs like the whole time and that their faces are obscured very purposely for most of it. Um, mm. For me, that kind of, it was consistent with the thought that I've had about the, like somebody watching, like there's another entity present here. And it, it makes me feel uncertain about whose motivations and will are being expressed. But, you know, maybe I'm just making excuses because otherwise this scene really sucks. But, okay, I guess mm. the thing that, that's kind of odd to me, or another thing that stood out to me at least, was that Aaron's enormous problem specifically with the like parents eating or children eating their parents and like children being born for a purpose and that kind of thing. After I started thinking about that whole mirror thing that I've been on endlessly and like every single one of my answers here, I was like, that sounds like a very mirror kind of concern to have. I mean, it, it should concern anybody, but it's so specific to Amir's experience that I think that's why it's so repulsive to him. Sorry if I'm getting like super repetitive, just like a mirror, 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 everything. 
but that's like just where no, my no, mind I mean, is the stories, lately. The stories are definitely connected. We, you know, a, a giving birth to a child whose only purpose is to become a sacrifice. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what King Fritz, the original King Fritz did to Emir and her offspring. So that combined with the way that they're visually presented, it just like feels very odd to me. So that makes it more difficult for me to comment on the actual content and like the dynamic between Aaron and Historia and stuff. Cause it, it just feels off. On, on Twitter, Ruby Gus asked us not really a question, but would love for you guys to break down the memory panels shards and clear up the Aaron and Historia conversation in your opinion. So, you know, I don't know that we really can clear up the Aaron and Historia conversation. I know I have definite, definite ideas about, the flavor of it to me. Like I take the whole conversation as being something kind of ominous and manipulative. And I I don't see it as anything cute or nice. And I don't know that any of us here do. So you mentioned that this wasn't really, you didn't really focus on these pages even, did you? Or? Um, Well, I have discussed them to some extent in, I don't know, various (laughs) discord chats for what's that, for what that's worth. But like overall this, this scene, like it had, it had loads of mixed opinions, but the sentiment was mainly that people were kind of disappointed. Someone just frustrated that it was too ambiguous at this late in the manga. We should be getting a, you know, Isayama shouldn't be continuing this ambiguity, especially when it comes to Historia, and we should just get straight answers. Uh, and we didn't really like learn anything entirely insightful aside from just seeing her reaction. And then obviously there's the shippers who are like, yeah, uh, very, very opinionated. I think when analyzing this scene, it's very important to look at the context of both characters. And like, I, I wrote a comment that I don't know, I'm kind of milk toast on the entire thing, but I wrote a comment that kind of embodied my views on, on this whole thing. And um, as far as whether Aaron's manipulative or not, my opinions could change, but this is essentially what I wrote a couple of days ago. So poor girl, this is referring to Historia. So poor girl, uh, the poor girl is always burdened with decisions, undertaking many self-sacrificing choices she doesn't desire, but follows anyway, as it's expected of her. Ymir shook this worldview up, but you can see her resolve being placed to the test as she grapples with her role as queen, previously Krista, and her real desires as Historia. She's a character of contradiction who finds it difficult to act to her true will. Aaron is one of the few characters who understands this. I know that's debatable. (laughs) That's why I assume believe. Stands up for her self-interest, which is what I interpreted in in the the, the scene with uh, the Hizuru Hizuru, uh, negotiations, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, When Aaron, like that, yeah, he like physically stood up, yeah. like, no, I won't let this happen to Historia, uh, and makes her more self-aware that she has the freedom to choose. If knowing the difference between when she's choosing out of compulsion rather than freedom is manipulation, then I don't know what to say. And so, <laughs> I mean, you brought up some good points earlier that made me rethought the stance, but um, I viewed her initial repulsion to the rumbling as you know, it's a mixture between like authentic disgust at hearing this and shock and also the the quote unquote morally good girl kind of kind of response to have, you know, that 
That's interesting. So that, you think you know, she gen- was- that genocide is bad? That genocide is bad. You know, any rational, like, like morally upstanding person would be against this. But it's just because her character has been a character of would she choose out of out of compulsion or out of her own self desire? She normally grapples with these two things. And yeah, I wrote, yeah, would she choose that role because it's expected of her or have those opinions because it's expected of her because that makes her morally good? Or would she really desire her own self-preservation along with her island not being a baby machine, even if that makes that her selfish? I think like especially the worst girl in the world thing alluded to the time where she, she was stuck in this role of having to act like the queen or Krista and Rod Rice was kind of forcing her into the decision. She was like, nah, fuck this. Even if that make this makes me the worst girl in the world, I'm just going to put my selfish desires above the world. I'm going to save Aaron, going to do my own thing. And so like I initially saw this scene as Historia feeling that she has to act a certain way out of compulsion rather than her realizing that there are other alternatives. Okay, so basically you think that we're seeing Krista, a Krista-ish side, up until the point where he says, you're the girl that saved me that day. You're the worst girl in the world. And that's the point where she becomes Historia again? Yeah, Hmm. but then I I, I can't say these opinions without realizing that there is an element of convenience for Aaron, for Historia to agree with his plan and a certain sense of manipulation and forcing her into that response based on his rhetoric so uh yeah i mean even even the rhetoric of like oh yeah if it's too much for you to endure i'll manipulate your memories with the founding titans uh, power you can just stay quiet until then and like you can interpret that as like as a means for errands to alleviate the burden of suffering but it's still like it's under the presupposition that yeah she's following like she should follow errands plan Mm -hmm. so it's difficult because I originally thought, okay, she's acting this way because she feels compelled to, but there's also an element of Aaron's forcing, Aaron's compelling her to choose another decision. So I'm thinking maybe out of, you know, being compelled to choose one side or the other, maybe the baby, maybe that her saying, what do you think about me having a baby is her coming up with her own sort of plan, her own choice forward. But um, at the same time, it's, it's it's really ambiguous and I, I honestly don't know. So yeah, my interpretation is is quite charitable, but that could yeah, that could change. Yeah. Uh, in, if you if you disagree with that, then that's No, I like mean fine. in true Isayama fashion, we get everything but nothing. Yeah. Yeah, my reading was incredibly different, but I'm interested in like how Sephora and Una read this. Um I read it as you know, pretty toxic and manipulative myself. And it was really disappointing to see. I haven't thought a ton about it just because I got held up on how weird the scene felt to me. And then I was basically just like, okay, well, there's more to it. Not everything has been revealed. So I don't, I don't even know how to go forward thinking about this until I see more. I kind of had a different reading as well because this chapter actually made me feel a whole lot better about the pregnancy (laughs) the panel where uh erin is telling historia that there's only two options you can either fight the military police or you can run away because otherwise they will turn you into a titan and feed seek to you and she's like no 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 i'm not gonna fight i'm not gonna run i have my own solution and that's where she kind of proposes the pregnancy 
And for me, that's like, okay, at least with one plan or the other, like the MPs obviously didn't want her to become pregnant. Erin and her friends didn't want her to become pregnant, but this was like something she chose of her own volition, which that part of the whole thing makes me feel so much better about the pregnancy. I'm sorry, I'm shuddering. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> okay, keep going. I'm, I'm okay. holding together. Anyway, so, and then Aaron is like, you know what? Uh, I don't think so. This is not what I want for you. Uh, you know, your whole family did this whole thing where they had to eat themselves to their children. Like, I don't want that for you. And she's like, well, you know. She knows that this is, uh, she's the only royal left and they need her blood to, in order to survive. There is no other way. And then Aaron is like, oh no, there is. And I don't want you to go through all of that. So instead I'm going to rumble the world. And she's like, wait, what now? And, and she obviously opposes his plan. And then the question is, well, if, if he's going ahead and rumbling the world, why did she go through with the pregnancy? Was it just to keep them from letting her turn into a titan and eat seek? Because we saw in a previous chapter that she was okay with that as well. So I kind of think that, yeah, she kind of did this in the hopes of like persuading Aaron not to go through with his rumbling plan. Like, if I become pregnant, maybe Aaron will stick with my plan. And, you know, even though he doesn't want it, it's better than the alternative than letting him rumble the world. But then Aaron ran off anyway. And so it's not better. It, like, it's not like she's doing it because she really wants to have a baby. <laughs> That's not the case. So I consider that like, okay, so before Historia had the choice of the, there's a chance I'm going to have to have a child who's going to yeah. help me protect this island for the next 50 years. And this sucks. And my friends are all trying to find a plan B. This is bad, but this is what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to give a child, give birth to a child. If they can't find another solution, which at the time they were still actively looking for, it's not forever. It's for 50 years until my island is safe. And Historia apparently was willing to do that. Whether or not it's forced on me is for me to decide. Right. So she's weighing the life of one child against the protection of all of her people, which is a decision nobody wants to be in. So now Aaron's coming to her with the whole, well, I'm just going to kill everybody so you don't have to do it. So now <laughs> maybe she's weighing the life of a child against the entire population of the world. And I was thinking about that. Okay, maybe she says, well, you know, if I get pregnant, I can save the entire world. Aaron won't have to do this anymore. But the timing of that doesn't work. Like, it, it, okay, I've had a couple kids. Takes time. Get pregnant. <laughs> uh, you don't know you're pregnant right away. I mean, Aaron had this conversation with her right before he leaves to go to Marley. Exactly. So there's no time for her to get pregnant. And well, maybe she she got on it and then found out too late that she was pregnant. And Aaron was already like off to Mar. Well, Aaron was off to Marley on his own, right? At that point, no, no, he went with the. At this point, he and the entire Survey Corps. And okay, if I could just so remind everybody, they're on their way to Marley. They're still actively looking for a way that Historia does not have to have a child. Okay, so that's before he goes runs off on his own. He knows at this point what he's going to do. Okay, but Historia doesn't know that. No. So in her mind, she still has time. 
I know you guys think fake pregnancy is crazy, but hang with me for a second. I do not see where this pregnancy needs to be real or authentic, especially since it's what Erin does not want. It's so much better if she's not actually pregnant. Everything about this chapter is screaming plot twist. Everything about it. Everything about the pregnancy period is screaming plot twist. I've written a lot about this, so I do get a lot of feedback, and there's plenty of people who think it's ridiculous. But a lot of unsolicited and ideas on Twitter of people saying that they never believed fake pregnancy until now. This chapter convinced them because it's so weird. It is weird. I could pretend to be pregnant. Okay. I don't think you can pretend that for very long. I do. Consider the MPs have already been presented as being idiots. The only people that know where she is, is Niall and a few others. They bought the Nicholas Sparks love story that Farmer Coon felt guilty and was working around the farm. And like they bought that story. Like my two year old wouldn't buy that story, right? <laughs> but they believed that story. So don't tell me she couldn't fake this. And I'm also not convinced that panel where she says, um, that panel where she says, what would you think about me having a child? I'm not even convinced she's talking to Aaron there. She could be talking to Farmer Coon. Because we have that panel in 108 where she's having a very uncomfortable conversation with him. That's what I think. I don't think she's talking to Aaron. She's talking to Farmerkin at the point. And is it me or does she have tears in her eyes when she says that? Because she's definitely crying in the scene where she approaches Farmerkin. Like I said, I don't think she wants to have a child. I think she wants to. The consequences of what Aaron is going to do if she doesn't. It just doesn't make sense to me that she would have a child to stop Aaron when there's no way of communicating with him unless Emir's floating around sending messages. That, the weird thing in my my uh, story, <laughs> I guess, that like, why would she become pregnant if she couldn't let Aaron know? And why would Aaron run off anyway if his story had already become pregnant? So there is something that's not quite adding up. When nothing about something makes sense, then there's more to it. I'm just going to go to the poll results here. So in the poll results, we ask, do you believe Aaron is the father? And currently, it's been, they've been toggling back and forth here. Currently, yes is in the lead, 36% versus 34% no. So 36% think he's the father. But then when we ask, why do you think Historia is proposing a pregnancy? That same number is like, I don't know, man. They have no idea. Is it because she's supporting Aaron's plan? Is it because she has a different plan? Is it because she's trying to manipulate him? Is it because she really wants a baby? Like there is apparently a pregnancy here. And the fandom answer so far is, I don't know. So to me, if it was fake, if she, if, if Aaron said, just humor me. Okay. If Aaron said, I need you to run or I need you to hide but I cannot let you do this. I cannot let you interfere with me and Zeke doing this. And she suggests the pregnancy as a way for her to not have to run or hide. I'll pretend to be pregnant. You guys can do your thing. And then he has a couple of Jaegerists to ensure she stays silent. That works for me. That makes sense because it solves Aaron's problem. Aaron has a problem and it solves it without ruining Historia. Yeah. Can I say wrong manga or are you going to? I mean, I think we're all of the agreement here. Wait and see. Yeah, something is not quite adding up. I'll agree on that. It does feel likely to me that she has a secret of her own or she knows something that she that 
nobody else does or something like that. I don't know why, but I get that sense. So going back to Sol's point about him thinking that it's Krista that or a Krista-ish version, I, that's an area that also that I feel very strongly about. When she says that she's opposed to this rumbling and that she wants to live her life with pride, I see Historia on these pages. Yeah, that is a callback to Emir, right? Yes, it's a callback to Emir. I see Historia in this. And Historia, like, the last time Aaron brought up the thing about being the worst girl in the world, she's like, you're bringing that up again? Like, you know, she said it in the heat of the moment, but maybe because it allied with his ideology so much, he's the one that caught on to it. So I just think that this whole conversation highlights just how poorly Aaron actually does know her. Like, he actually thinks that she's that this selfish of a person. I mean, if 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 you're if you believe that, yeah, her first response was the authentic self, rather than the 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 morally upstanding character, then yeah, that that line of logic makes sense. But but if it's flipped, yeah, then if if that was her saying it out of fear and compulsion to seem good, then um, yeah, I think I think this 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 entire like situation is kind of beyond me i haven't thought about it enough the rage i see when when he proposes the rumbling looks like authentic historia to me this is historia face right the the angry eyes the when the panel where we see the what do you think about me having a child with the extra long eyelashes and the, you know that's krista to me that's not it's, it's completely opposite the way you see it like that looks <laughs> so submissive so sheepish so wrong. Everything about it looks wrong to me. It does not look like Historia. Hmm. See, because I always felt like after she became queen, she acted more like Krista again. I think she found her balance. Did she? She understood that living your life with pride, being hmm. authentic to yourself, doesn't mean being a selfish bastard. It means compromise. No. It means doing things but that you think are... But it also doesn't mean... Like being the sacrificial lamb, like she was as Krista, and she's kind of, you know, putting herself in that role again. Also being forced into that role, kind of, but also choosing. Well, it. She, 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 um, she only accepted the role of the fifty-year plan as long as it ensured the long-term survival of Paradise. Yeah. So, I mean, in a situation like that, what choice? There really is no choice there. Well. Aaron, Aaron <laughs> tried to figure out another choice. <laughs> yeah. He made it so much worse. I just, oh man, somebody needs to stop this guy. You know, he's the worst guy in the world. <laughs> so the other thing that really bothered me about this is that, you know, any other time he's talked about this, it's been about, you know, stopping the animals, stopping the enemies, stopping you know, gaining freedom, you know, there's been like these big purposes. In his conversation with Historia, he makes it all about her. I don't know, that struck, that bothered me too. I'm going to do this so you don't have to do this. And she's, something she's willing to do for the safety of her people. I don't know. And even at the end, well, this is, you know, you're going to go along with it because you saved me. It just feels like this is a different version of the story than he's giving everybody else. And it's one targeted to maybe make Historia feel guilty, to put the blame on her. I mean, those are kind of extreme words there, but it just, this is so tailored to getting her to comply that it, it I think, you know, 
it's hard to argue with somebody when they say, when you say, no, that's going to kill everybody in the world. That's wrong. You can't do that. And then they come back and say, well, this is your fault. You saved me in the cavern. It's just so manipulative. Nobody can convince me it's not. And whether he was deliberately being manipulative or not, I don't know. But this is not a conversation to look at with hard eyes or woo-woo or look at how sweet he's being. He is not. There's nothing <laughs> honorable about this conversation. He's gotten very good at convincing yeah. <laughs> people to do what he wants them to do. He's always been charismatic, but... And what's crazy is everybody's blaming themselves. Historia is now blaming herself. Aaron is doing this because of me. Mikasa is blaming herself. Aaron is doing this because I didn't give the right answer. Armin is blaming himself. Aaron is doing this because I couldn't find another way. Like everybody is blaming themselves. And the only person that needs to be blamed is Aaron. He's doing this. And it just, it's so interesting to me that everyone else is feeling guilt when it should be him yeah well i think that's explained in the narrative by the fact that they already have a connection to aaron and still hold on to the vain hopes that he's he's a character who you should sympathize with and you know they've they've known him his his entire life so they're going to view him with rose-tinted glasses and the final arc is essentially them coming trying to come to terms with the fact that aaron is no longer the the boy that they think he is and he really is as extreme and as blunt as he's giving off. They, they, they can't view him through the same sympathetic eyes anymore. And it's tough to do because they already established practically a lifelong connection with him. But um, I, I, think, uh, I, I think it's a very human response to, to think that, no, he, he isn't actually this bad because, because you know, Aaron, my Aaron would never do this. <laughs> and like, it must be what every parent or friend of somebody who does something horrific, like they're going through what yeah. parents of multi- mass murderers do or, or people that just commit horrific crimes. Yeah. Like this can't be, they blame themselves. Yeah. And then they say, this can't be that person. This isn't who they are. And like, and it's even re- repeated this chapter, like, you know, Annie talking, you know, bringing up the fact that they are on their way to stop and most likely kill Aaron because mm-hmm. Aaron just will not stop unless he is, killed i don't think he can be talk no jutsu out of this and you know bringing up that point you can see in the characters faces they're all so hesitant and it's a subject that they don't like to think about but one that they have to think about so it's 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 a really like that's what makes a story compelling to me just this kind of fucked up kind of dynamic (laughs) yeah historia is not the only one being coerced into doing something she doesn't want to do right Everybody's having to... (sighs) Even Zeke. Shall we move into Zeke? (laughs) Our 112 podcast did not age well, guys. (laughs) (laughs) True. True. Do you remember what we said in that podcast, all? Oh, God. What was it again? Am I the only one that listened back? Probably. (laughs) I listened to it last night. I enjoyed it. It was good. It didn't age well, though. (laughs) I think that's expected, though, seeing as it's, you know, over a year old and, like, we've gotten so much new content and perspective shifts. I mean, back then, we didn't even know that, aside from some vague foreshadowing, that the attack titan could could see the future. The bottom line is we all owe Zeke an apology. And (laughs) we we all were quick to blame Zeke for Aaron being misformed about the Ackermans. We thought, you know, I remember at one point, Sol, you were saying that 
you know, you'd really hope that Zeke was authentically loving his little brother and you just weren't sure about that anymore. And yeah, I was the worst. I hated Zeke so much during that 112 podcast (laughs) and here for the first time, like, okay, not for the first time. I think this is like the sixth time I've had to say this. I was wrong. He genuinely loves his brother. And Zeke Yeager is now on my list of people who deserved better, which, wow. I never thought I would say that because I really thought Zeke (laughs) was the villain of this story. And now Zeke is genuinely trying to be good big bro and Aaron's lying to him. Anyway, apologies to Zeke Yeager and nobody listened, please, to the 112 podcast. I find it kind of ironic that that Aaron is talking about how he wants his friends to live like long, happy lives to Zeke, who assumedly wants to sterilize all Eldians. Yeah, and li- have them live hot, long, happy lives, and then, you know. Well, they, I doubt the end of their lives will be that happy. Long, happy, child-free lives. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> child-free life. yeah, well... <laughs> Today, I think um, when the Eldian race kind of dies out and the enemy is invading, I don't know if that'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone saw coming that Zeke... Like Zeke ships Aramika, who knew? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> the, the ship is equivalent to uh, what the Colossal Titan did to the, uh, the Mikasa ship. In uh, at the end of the chapter, <laughs> don't know if it was intentional or not, but you know the ship called Mikasa was destroyed by Eren's colossals and rampage. So I think that's kind of symbolic in of itself. Uh, <laughs> oh wait, he actually included the warship. Yeah, yeah, like the warship that they're on is the same design as oh, a ship called the Mikasa, Mikasa. that which she was named after. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And and it's Aaron literally destroying the ship through his rampage. So I think that's wow. you know. even including the the memory there, I want them to have long healthy lives, including in amongst that with the new scene from Fezcoon. Have you guys read the theories on Fezcoon's second appearance here? I've read one theory from Crunch. You made a really good theory. Which one was that? Go ahead and tell us. Crunch's theory was that on, well, yeah, how the scene may play out. I might be misinterpreting it just off the top of my head. I th- but it's like, you know, Fezkin getting bullied by the adults and Eren's response to that is to just either kill the adults or just brutally attack them. You know, some form of violence to throw the adults away. And he, he tries to convey to Fezkin, Fezkin, Fezkid, the Fezkid, Fezkin as well, that like, uh, oh yeah, in this world, you need to fight if you want to survive. You need to fight against your enemies. And Fez, the Fezkid's reaction is just one of pure shock and horror at Eren's actions. And it kind of, kind of shows, you know, that, that Eren's automatic responses to things aren't the only way, aren't the optimal way. Violence isn't always, violence shouldn't always be the first resort or even an answer. There are other, you know, ways to go about things. So it'd be interesting if the scene played out like that, where, you know, the audience expects maybe Fezkun to be like a little kid that, you know, Aaron forms a bond with, and it's supposed to show how Aaron's empathetic towards the random civilians. But if he plays with that expectation and makes it to where, Fezkid is actually like really shocked at Aaron's actions and views him as a sort of like devil. Uh, that'd be interesting. That's a lot happening off screen there. <laughs> yeah. I like the theory. Oh, I don't like it. I hate it. But um, 
the one that I read was that Aaron say we know that Aaron like saves the kid. We have the flashback from the last memory shard where he has his arm on the child or somebody has their arm on the child and the child is bruised, but smiling. So, you know, the indication is that Aaron steps in and saves him. Oh, but, is he smiling? Yeah. He, he looks grateful. Doesn't he? Was it 121 where we get Fez Coons, where we get the first part of this? It's the one where his head gets shot off, right? Like where the memory shards and stuff. Yeah, 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 in that one. Yeah, so is that like 119, I think? But somebody darkly suggested that Aaron then promptly has to kill him because the kid recognizes him and is going to blow his cover. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> God, no, I, I hate that. <laughs> I hate it too, but like, can you imagine? Like, because Aaron's disguised as a Merlian, so- or as a, yeah, as a Merlian soldier at this time, and then Fezcoon recognizes him, and, because they can't communicate, they don't speak the same language. Yeah. Unless Path's magic can serve as, like, a language interpreter as well. Oh, gosh. It's dark. I don't know if we're going to get anything, like, really plot relevant with Fezcoon. The way I interpreted this panel here, like, showing us this kid, and then immediately after showing us Falco and Gabby tied up, in the airship is that we're talking about children here, right? Like he, he says, I want for them to live long, happy lives. He's not just talking about his friends. He's talking about children. It kind of reminds me of his conversation with Falco at the hospital when he's like, you're a nice kid. I want you to live a long, happy life. He's considering the next generation. Yeah. You know, that's been kind of a consistent thing for a little while now, I think. And especially placed here in this chapter with this conversation with his story about like a child, and whether you're going to have one, and what kind of world are they going to be born into, and that's all I thought it was there for. I thought it was just showing us a kid suffering in this hellish world. And it pans to Zeke's face, looking all like intimidating. And mm-hmm. It's like, how dare you bring up the subject of kids? Yeah. <laughs> in the poll, forty-four percent so far believe that Vescoon is there to reaffirm the hatred that Aaron needs to wipe out, like seeing a kid getting beat up is just more proof that the world is cruel and needs to end. So that's actually the majority response to why Fezcoon is back. And there's um, the next largest chunk of the puzzle is that he's simply a device so that Aaron feels an attachment to somebody he will be killing through the rumbling and feel remorse. Yeah. It is interesting because this kid, I mean, this kid is going to die according to what Aaron is doing. I want them to live long, happy lives. Yeah, it's it, it. None of this makes sense. So, Flora, I'm glad you have mm-hmm. theories because I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're they're wild. We'll see. It might just be the simple answer of just Aaron having an emotional attachment to someone that he's going to kill, showing that oh, he's regretful and. Well, not regretful, but that it's a necessary evil. And it'd be cool. It'd be a nice surprise if the Fezkin kid has some depth and there's some like epic background. Mm. He can get a spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Aaron will adopt him. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But I guess we're back here to this like split mind idea, or at least I am with the, like obviously this himself killing this kid and the wanting them to live long, happy lives. It gets back to the complication of wanting in the first place and what that means and where, where wanting comes from. I think it's just another indication that he's struggling with that whole concept yeah there's the thematic concept of fighting to destroy what you hate or fighting to protect what you love 
and him saying, I want them to live long, happy lives. It, it's kind of alluding to the fact that a part of Aaron is doing this to to protect his friends or protect his homeland or whatever. Mm-hmm. There, there are lots of contradictions in how, you know, he wants to protect those he cares about, but it pans to a kid that he's going to kill. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of duality and contradiction. Yes. Do you guys have any thoughts about which is his most, um, which is the strongest driving force? I know, you know, for a while there, we thought love for his friends. And then it was the, you know, the freedom meme that freedom was his motivation. And then this chapter seems to make it more about vengeance or at least introduce that that is also there. (laughs) Just in case people forgot. (laughs) Yeah. Is it love for his friends? Is it freedom? Is it is it this vengeance for the enemy? I mean, which what is driving Aaron? I know the answer is all of the above, but which one do you think is yeah. the yeah. strongest driving force? Like, if you had to pick which one was like, I mean, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm compelled to say that he's doing it to protect protect what he loves and freedom. Yeah. I mean, I want to go for that option as well, but then I see the goddamn devil show up out of the water and trample the world (laughs) like i'll kill them all so this chapter i'd say hate for the enemy but or i think the underlying is love for his friend i mean that that flashback was very specifically placed at the end like when he's rumbling they specifically yeah acm was specific in showing Aaron where his trauma started and how he views the enemies as animals. Mm. That isn't necessarily indicative of Aaron's current mindset. More so, could be argued that it's more so Isiyama trying to muddle the water or, you know, make you make you think a certain way about how Aaron's thinking uh, currently. It's like he's trying to put us in Aaron's mind. Like he's... Yeah. Aaron is just confused. Aaron is so confused and he's making us confused. And yeah, I think that's the position that we're being put in. I personally don't see a reason at all to rank his motivations. Like they're all in there. And I don't think there's mm-hmm. one underlying that's stronger or more important than any of the others. I am interested in his use of the word animals because he always meant it. Well, not always, but in this scene in particular, like after the death of his mother and everything, when he said that, he meant the titans. He was equating the titans with animals and wanted to eliminate them. Mm. And I still think it's part of his goal, maybe his ultimate goal, but at least part of it to eliminate the power of titans from the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of hoping that that's what he's referring to when he says that, because we have that scene in chapter 100 too where he demonstrated that he understood if he hadn't before that everybody on the other side of the sea is the same as him. So it doesn't make any sense to me that he would refer to them as animals. No, I I completely agree. Uh, And some people think that Eren has devolved on that stance, that he doesn't believe it anymore. Some think that he's purely amping himself up by using that kind of rhetoric. So he has the resolve to follow through. I I personally don't think he views anyone outside of Paradise as animals per se. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't think he has that visceral hatred no. for the other. I think it's just a conveniently placed 
uh, panel that's supposed to make us think that he has the visceral hate. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's hard to argue against when he's literally destroying them. But you know what I mean? It's <laughs> I, I, I think he's he, he isn't necessarily killing them because he views them. Yeah. as animals oh, yeah. I, I, it's hard to explain I, no, I, I really mean, need I, I, to I script it. this there's just so much yeah. being done right now to purposely create this like atmosphere of confusion around everything that's happening so yeah yeah that makes sense to me because it's very easy like like if I say oh no he doesn't actually think they're animals and then you could just say yeah well he's just he's destroyed them he's just killing the world right now so and it's like it's very easy to argue against uh it's, I I don't know. I think the disjointed and contradictory nature of this chapter, I think, as you pointed out, is just representative of Eren's just collective psyche insofar as it's just disjointed and contradictory. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so let's say Eren is not, you know, he, yeah, let's go back to when he was in Marley and he said, like, wait, everyone on the other side is exactly the same as us. So to kind of reconcile with himself what he's doing, like, yeah, there are people who, you know, I think should be able to live a long, happy life, but won't because of what I'm doing. You know, him calling them animals is kind of a way to dehumanize them and not be so attached to what he's doing. Yeah, so he can so yeah. he can follow through. Mm, so kind of like hyping himself that, up. That's an option. Yeah. Whether that's the truth, I don't know at this point. I mean, I, I think, you know, the fact that this last instance of every last one of those animals is a mo- is monologue. This isn't for anyone's benefit. Unless the attack titan is different from, unless the attack titan has a will. Okay, you know, human Aaron understands that people are all the same, but as the attack titan, they're animals. I mean, I actually, as much as I've hated those ideas that he's being controlled by something or that the attack titan has its own consciousness, that's the only way I can reconcile this because... For him to be saying that as part of a monologue to himself just doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. Yeah. We got into a huge discussion of whether or not he was actually using the word animals or enemies because all the fan translations mm. had enemy. Oh, I, I think it's definitely animal. And animals is such a sp- specific word that he used in the past. Well, it's like the, um, the animal counter, like the collective animals thing, right? Yeah. Right. And it's the same word that Sergeant Major Gross used to describe the Eldians when he said to Grisha, you know, it's easy, I'm not killing humans. So it's the same, it's the same expression yeah. used now by Aaron. Um, yeah. It's easy, I'm not killing humans, I'm killing animals. And that's, now Aaron is using the same term. The one instance I can think of when he used the word animals in reference to humans rather than titans was when... Uh, there might be others that I'm just forgetting, but the one that comes to mind is the um, the human traffickers who like kidnapped Mikasa, who he killed. Mm-hmm. That's like the one time that I can remember. Maybe in in the attempts to to understand Aaron and not necessarily justify him, but but you know think of think of reasons why he wouldn't be this bad. That we're just we're just like the characters who don't give up hope <laughs> mm-hmm. on him. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what Isayama means by hurting the reader. It's <laughs> just like yeah. um, Armin or Mikasa. We're always trying to like rationalize why he's why he's doing this, and but obviously, I I don't believe that because I think <laughs> there are actually rationalizations that make sense and are intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in understanding Eren. But uh, yeah. it's it, it's an interesting uh, thought that Isayama is like, even to like the kind of pro eren people is making us doubt ourselves, making us think mm-hmm. like, should I really still try and rationalize him? Or is he just, you know, completely off off the rails? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if we put our heads together, we could list out about 5,000 different ways that Isayama could be trying yeah. to hurt us. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that would that would hurt. Yep. <laughs> That's why I couldn't return to this chapter for several days. Yeah. Even just looking at the final panel. Well, first of all, just the artwork and the spectacle itself is just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I, I know this is like a basic point that's been pointed out before, but just just panning of just all the colossals destroying the city and Aaron in his absolutely monstrous, disgusting devil form. Aaron monologuing to himself, I'll kill every last one of those animals that's in this world with those words panning over the destruction that he's causing. It's just, it's just so, uh, it's just so good. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) As in like from a story writing perspective, obviously not like a weird way. No, yeah, I get you. So we have an Anon from Tumblr. So how are you guys liking Aaron's new crane game Titan form? Like the claw? The claw. The yeah. claw. Oh, God. Oh, oh no. no, I haven't <laughs> see seen it? that one. Yeah, I mean, with the strings attached to him and everything, how are you liking yeah, like Aaron's Pinocchio. new? He's like a puppet on a string. <laughs> I love his final form. I love it. It's the creepiest, coolest yeah. thing. I have to tell you what my sister said about it. She said it looks like it's from heaven and hell, and she said it's the most otherworldly thing she's ever seen put to paper. And yeah, I agree with her assessment. <laughs> um, she also, I don't know if this is going to mean anything to anybody. It didn't mean anything to me when she told me, but she compared him to um, Aldrich or Aldrich or whatever from Dark Souls 3, just in the way the human appearing part of him has been made into an appendage and the functional and structural bits are the ones in control. Just like that reversal of roles that's really creepy and just like mm. super good body mm. horror, like just mm. really interesting design concept. When I first saw the puppet strings, it reminded me of the second ending from the anime, like the second half of season one, because there's a scene in there where he's like strung up by muscle fibers like a puppet behind his titan or whatever. But I And I also thought that maybe there were connectors like the Warhammer Titan uses and that his body was like mm. back there somewhere. That was my first thought. But I think probably the more important part of those is just like the symbolism, the, the puppet imagery. What do you think is the symbolism of the puppet imagery? Well, see, free and control, that's, that's we can't really make clean distinctions between those concepts because that's just not how minds are, I think, is what the story is saying. Um, that it's more complicated than that. But yeah, I think it's, to me, it seems very clear that it's saying something about how there are other forces at work in him besides just his pure free will. I think the story is becoming one about Aaron struggling with free will being an illusion, like coming to that realization. And mm. that's kind of being symbolized here. Also, the, the shot where it's like straight on at him, um, kind of looks like he's hanging in a cage or something, like the rib cage, I guess. So all sorts of like being trapped and being not so much mm. controlled, mm. but influenced, being 
being not as simply free as he had hoped. How does he move? <laughs> I, yeah, I hate that because those <laughs> Just there are no joints and no muscles and, like, and those you cannot use those for legs, sir. I'm sorry, but I guess you found a way. I'm just imagining like some colossals just carrying him. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think about the theory that he's missing six of the nine Titans and that's why he is incomplete? Like if he gets all the Titan powers, he becomes, you know, the best um, transformer. I, I, I think how he's designed now is intended to be his ultimate design. I, I, I don't think getting more Titans would necessarily change his uh, his kind of end game appearance. I think EC Evan designed this as the definitive <laughs> Aaron's final form. Uh, yeah. Just like how when yeah. Aaron gained the Warhammer Titan, people predicted that there'd be like a difference in how his normal Titan looked, but there wasn't really anything but aside from the powers. Uh, so I think, yeah, this is just the definitive uh, version. And I think it looks good enough more than good enough i think it's perfect and it definitely does its job and it's the fucking freakiest thing i've ever seen so yeah the only reason he looks like this there's no like reason the only reason is that it looks freaking sweet it's like <laughs> the exactly. best titan design and yeah it, it, it does enough by itself if you were to add more that if, if, if you were to add more things that kind of um almost not hide but you know, take away from the the puppet symbolism or the cage mm -hmm. symbolism, then that might take away from the final effect. I think it's definitely uh, good enough now. Mm. Yeah, he's completely integrated, right, with his Titan. Like he's not he's not there anymore physically. Yeah, I don't think he has a human form anymore. I think this is it. Oh, that's even more freaky. I mean, I've always maybe you know hung on to the fact that you know maybe he is like in a, in a human form just somewhere in the titan but if that is his literal only physical body then he really has become the monster of the story yeah, <laughs> uh, <he> really, yeah. <laughs> no, it's really uh god it's it's horrible Link the hair in the as description well. below please <laughs> yeah <laughs> good i mean the hair in particular i don't know why the hair gets me it's uh, it's so, pinned straight, like it's like something yeah. from uh, the ring, like it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's so like, from the well. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's not like nice, luscious locks. It's like really like straight, like uh, thin, thin hair. Yeah, it's like a God. goblin. Yeah, a lot of people have been debating whether or not he has a titan form or a human form anymore. Like, is he in the nape? Is he in the head? Or is this just him he now? He doesn't have and a I think, nape. Like, I know, there's bones. no... <laughs> yeah. I think the fact that he is literally physically looking on at the destruction he causes makes it more impactful. Because it's one thing just to send the Titans out to destroy the world, but the fact that he's going along with them to either ensure that they're doing the job or, you know, just witness what... Just the end of the world. It's It makes it a lot more... Uh, one more impactful. I mean, if I was a random Malian soldier and I saw that thing, I'd just, <laughs> I'd just like, just, <laughs> I'd just try and have like a beer and just sit down and be like, yeah, screw this. Like, <laughs> you know what? That's, yeah, that's, that's God right there. I'm just going to, I can't fight against that. The picture where we, where we see his face um, for the first time 
uh, and the Titans coming on shore. And it's like, you see balconies and chairs, there's potted plants. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is mm-hmm. so horrific. It is so like, this is just a town. No, no civilians. Their life. No civilians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, you know, promising. I mean, you could make the case that, oh, this is probably the Malian part of town, so they would have evacu- evacuated the Malians and maybe not the Eldians, but I don't think that's the case. I think they would have, if they were to evacuate the Malians, they'd evacuate everyone, so. I just hope Karina wasn't one of those ships. <laughs> <laughs> Karina's at the front, you know, firing cannons. And <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? I I, I mean, I I mean, if Eren is the actual Titan, Mm. then surely that makes it a bit more difficult to kill him, or maybe not. Like, yeah, that that's the whole point. Like, how are you going to kill him when he is just made out of bones? Like, because maybe if like he was hiding in a part of in part of the Titan in a human form, Mm -hmm. then you could, then you know, as with most big monsters, you aim for a specific part. But like, I guess with this, it's like. Would cutting the nape off, like, actually affect anything? Or, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> There's no flesh, so it's weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No idea how that's going to go down. How do you, you guys are Aaron fans. How do you feel about this being his final, like, this being your guy? You're that sweet little boy killing murderers <laughs> at nine. Yeah. It's gross. Just, just, but, yeah. Like, I think if, if the appearance of his Titan is symbolically significant, then I like it. Yeah, I definitely think the symbolism is intended because most authors, Isiyama specifically, normally intends his symbolism or certain aspects to mean something. Uh, He normally has, you know, a driving idea behind it. So I definitely think the the puppet symbolism is is valid, especially when uh, the Sawano... Hiroyuki music, you know, <laughs> kicks in at this moment. <laughs> I hope he does the music for this part because I think isn't it like a collaboration yeah. now with? Yeah, it, it's a collaboration, but it's with someone that he normally collaborates with. So it's uh, and you know they normally make really good stuff together. So I think it will it will work. I hope it's some sort of like remix, not remix, but you know i don't want a new theme like, for this part. of this of, to- of xltt yeah <laughs> because xltt was made for the colossals and i think it would be it would be fitting here mm-hmm. what about them calling it the attack titan when i read that my immediate thought was oh yeah the attack titan is a conscious entity that has something to do with what's going on here i mean what was it really were they really referring to the attack titan though like i I mean, in the official translation, yes, but I thought at first when I saw it, like, oh, they're referring to, like, all the colossals coming at them, because that's also what Shingeki no Kyojin can mean, right? Well, I think the fact that it, it pans in to his face. They're saying, this is the attack titan, and they don't call him mm-hmm. Aaron Yeager like they did in Liberio, when they were like, Aaron the Usurper. No. So everybody knows that Aaron Yeager's coming. That's how he like introduced himself to the world too, right? He was like, this is Aaron Yeager. I'm coming for you. They don't call him Aaron Yeager. They don't call him the founding Titan, which is what they were concerned about him having. They call him the attack Titan. Aside from it just being a cool title drop, 
I do like how over the series, the, the meaning and implications of Shingeki no Kyojin, the title has changed. Mm. So first we thought it was like, <laughs> I was just an English mistranslation of what well, Attack on Titan, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it, it referred to just Titans maybe vaguely attacking people. And then it was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's Eren's Titan, the Titan that fights for freedom. And now it's Shingeki no Kyojin is now associated with the devil and the end of the world and Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, yeah, it's so cool Very how cool. the implications just changed. Mm, let's see, we did get a couple of questions in. One of the questions we got was uh, from Kingsgrave. Aaron fans insist that Aaron has gone through character development and hasn't always been the same person. But Aaron himself disagrees. How do you reconcile that? Soul? <laughs> um, so, I mean, in literature, there's, you know, static or dynamic characters. And static characters normally are kind of one note and represent, you know, like a, a an idea or symbolize something. I think Eren is a mixture of both, if that's not a cop-out answer, in the sense that Eren is a static character insofar as he's held the same core ideals, the freedom, uh, this entire time. But his perspective around around how he uh, copes with his inner ideals, yeah, his, his perspective on how he views the enemy, how he, uh, how, how he views freedom, uh, has developed throughout the story whilst also remaining true to his ideals. So it's a mixture of like, it's a mixture of both, if that isn't a cop-out answer. It's not a cop-out answer at all. This is exactly how every person is. You have certain inborn traits, and then you have experiences that like layer on top of those. Yeah, which especially in literature is is kind of, I, I mean, it's not unheard of, but it's definitely rarer. You normally either have, a character that sticks to their traits definitively without changing, or you have a main protagonist that change changes, overcomes their prejudices or whatever, and the moral is earned through the character's development. But in Aaron's case, it's he's stuck to his ideals, but has also changed his perspective around them. Yeah, and I mean, I think the scene where he's where he is disagreeing with people saying that he's changed is. I don't know, maybe there's another time, but I'm thinking of when he's in Paths with Zeke and he's like, hey, I've been this way since I was born. Look, I killed these guys. What he's talking about there, the things that have not changed that he's, that have, that he's had since he was born, his hatred of oppressors and his desire for freedom and his determination and his willingness to do whatever it takes, those things have not changed, sure. But you're right, his perspective around like the specifics of the world and the conditions that he's found himself, those have changed. Okay. But don't you think that this constant, I've never changed, I've never changed, I'm the same, I'm the same, is an example of doth protest too much. Like <laughs> he's trying to convince himself that he has, I I can't help but read this as an unreliable narrator situation. I think it make, makes sense. I mean, if you, if you just compare Aaron now to how he was as a child, like a, a, aside from the superficial similarities, they're pretty different, in my opinion. When else has he said that? I mean, I guess he said to Reiner, I think we were born this way when he's talking to him in the basement. Yeah. Area. But that's the only other time I can remember him saying that. I just in the pads realm, he said it, and then he says it again here. And uh, it came up in the Mikasa chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, Mikasa starts out by saying, 
you know, that she never understood, you know, that he's always been the same. Like, it's just like, it's just this motif now, this entire, yeah. and, they, and I'm sure part of that is because, you know, post time skip, we're getting this complete, to me, completely different character in Aaron Yeager. Uh-huh. And the narrate the narration keeps telling us he's still the same guy. He's still the same guy. He's still the same guy, but in the worst possible way, he's still the same guy. <laughs> um, but, yeah. you know, Aaron's saying it now over and over. It's just like, I think, he's you know, saying it over and over though. I mean, to say it to Zeke, this, okay. Okay. Saying it to Zeke. And now this, his point of view chapter, I've always been this way. I haven't changed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's purposeful. I think it's kind of drawing attention to, well, you know, here's me with my conspiracies. But if, if in this chapter, we're also given that picture that I think is strongly suggestive of the moment of Aaron's birth. And he's like born into the world this way. And he's the attack titan. I, it, it feels to me like it's saying he was born with attack titan nature. Like something of the, he's like imbued mm-hmm. with something of its spirit or something because his father was the holder of that titan. I feel like, and if they are going to keep like driving that point home that he's been that way, I think that's, that's her purpose. And that's kind of what it's pointing to possibly. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I just think he's trying to convince himself that he has no choice, that he's always been this way. I think it's the workings of a guilty conscience, actually. I don't know. Maybe it's me. I would like to think it's the, it's the talk of a guilty conscience. He hasn't always been this way, though. I, I'm just remembering the moment when they're on their way back to Shiganshina, and we get that kind of flashback to when Armin showed him the book and he says like, that's the moment I realized I wasn't free. And that's the moment like he, this anger kind of welled up in him. And how old was he then? Like six, seven. So I don't know if he always had been that way. And that was just a moment that made it particularly pronounced or. I'm not sure if like when he killed the, the, the two uh, kidnappers, whether that was after the book or before the book. That was after. So we have another ask from Paris or Andrew122 on Twitter. He said, did you guys catch the Odin references? Aaron blinds himself to infiltrate as one of Marley's ruin, wounded. His Titan form is the hanged man. Odin hung himself for several days to attain knowledge and power. So I'm going to just say right here that I have no idea about Odin, but (laughs) I'm hoping Luna does or one of you. I don't know. Luna, did you? I know you've mentioned things like this in the past. Did you see the Hangman reference or anything about Odin in this? I saw the Hangman reference, but I felt like I can see why people would refer to it as the Hangman, but I feel like Bird's sleeping position was closer to the Hangman and made more sense. (laughs) And and yeah, uh, Odin did uh, blind himself, but he gave one of his eyes to Mimir, like uh, to bestow infinite wisdom. To Mimir, if you've played God of War, you'll know who Mimir is. <laughs> so, Do you and also yeah, have the, like ravens that kept an eye out on things? For yes, him? Like the, birds? That, that's also, yeah, it was ravens. Yeah, raven is, the, is Odin's bird. And uh, that's kind of how he has this... Um, bird symbolism. Uh, uh, yeah, but that's also how he sees everything that's going on. You know, they're Odin's eyes. Basically, so... So the bird is Aaron. Yes. (laughs) If we would go by that logic, yes. But the thing is, Odin would try to prevent Ragnarok. So, you know, he didn't want it to happen. So, and uh, I feel like if 
we keep with the symbolism, Aaron is definitely <laughs> going for a new world <laughs> and the end of the current one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this manga borrows a lot from Norse mythology and uh, him blinding himself. Yeah, I mean, that it's was gonna so grow back. okay. We didn't talk about that though, but this that that scene I love those panels. He's yeah. That was really good. We we knew he had done it, but to actually see him doing it was mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I was wondering, like, would he bite down on something when he would cut off his leg, or would he just like be like, "No, nah, this is no big deal." And then to see well, him, I, like- I I noticed that this was in um the the trenches. Yep, most likely in the Mid East mm-hmm. Alliance War, right? So that's very uh, mm-hmm. it's a cool detail. Just remembering, like. In order for Aaron to be invoked into the 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 Liber- Liberio hospital, he'd have to injure himself during the war for it to make to make sense. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I, it just it was just a nice detail that added consistency to his uh, infiltration. You know what? I um, never noticed that. Is it possible yeah. that he is in the same trenches that? Um, yeah, I think so. So maybe the memory of Falco isn't that yeah. far off if he was actually there. Yeah, they're, they're with mm. Falco, Gabby, probably further down the trench ah. or something. Wow. Okay. I totally had missed that. Wow. Okay. Mm. Let's see. We have one more question left. The pretty panel with Erwin. <laughs> I love that. Standing right behind his captain. Like, Isayama's good to us sometimes. So good. Again, like with everything, there's a lot to love in these chapters and a lot that drives me insane. This was kind of cool because we we knew Levi and Hanji were at the dinner. We didn't know Erwin was there. And just mm-hmm. seeing everybody this happy, like way to wreck us again. There's one person who doesn't look happy in this and it's Jean. I, it kind of jumped out at me that his eyes are all shaded over. Like Flock looks all bright eyed and happy and like part of the group. And Jean is like in his own little world. We know Aaron and John get into a fight sometime after this moment. Like, mm-hmm. has has Aaron already ticked him off? I mean, I understand Levi being drawn with kind of like a little grumpy cat face, but yeah, John <laughs> being drawn that way didn't make a lot of sense to me. Oh yeah, who is um the person sitting beside Sasha? I don't know. Like, I I, th- I thought it was Hitch, but apparently Hitch wasn't there when they had this meal. It's uh, Armin's body double. Yeah, it's Armin's like. <laughs> stunt double for when he's here off screen (laughs) it could just be a random other some random yeah Yeah. just to like briefly say uh the the ending as far as north norse mythology goes the only thing i can relate that is just ragnarok and i feel bad because apparently there's like a massive subtext of norse mythology and attack on titan and i remember someone wrote like this thesis on the norse mythology all prevalent through Attack on Titan and like went really in depth. And I feel like I'm doing them a disservice in just looking at the Titans and being like, oh, that's Ragnarok. But <laughs> aside from that, I don't know anything else. But they wrote their actual thesis on it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah, actual like, university thesis yeah. on the, wow. the Norse. Uh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. I hope I can find it. Then I'll link it. So we're going into uh, our final questions from our listeners. Unfortunately, we got more questions than we have time for this month. So uh, we want to say thank you to Honey Lemon, Ace1738, and TJ the Greatest for sending in their questions. But 
The next two are from Dong Saber and Fabio Tensi. So Dong Saber or Javier, I don't know, uh, asks, after reading in the last chapters all persistent mentions of Mikasa killing Eren or allowing it, I wonder if, uh, if that whole scene of sometimes sacrificing one precious life can save many others in Tross is a foreshadowing of Mikasa killing Eren. What do you think? And they include panels of uh, where Mikasa is talking to Demo Reese, you know, when his cart is blocking the exit for Trost during the attack. So any thoughts on Mikasa being the one to kill Eren? I think that's the cruelest thing that the story could do to her. I think it would be good enough if she is just able to sit back while somebody does it, because that has never happened before. I hope she doesn't have to be the one to do it. I think this, her line about sacrificing one precious life is relevant and like applicable to the situation, obviously. But I don't know if it means that she herself is going to be the one to finish him off. It's really cool that Don Zabier found those panels because I had totally forgotten that she does say those words that sometimes one human life can save a bunch. And, you know, it was a threat to him. Mm-hmm. So I, I had totally forgotten that moment. And I, I don't necessarily think it's related or foreshadowing, but it's a cool moment. And, you know, the fact that she acknowledged it in trust, I have compliments to Jean Xavier for finding that and remembering that that had happened because I'd forgotten. The idea of Aaron dying by Mikasa is kind of, um, it's tragic, but also makes sense poetically, if that makes sense. It, because, you know, Mikasa is kind of a character that's been so attached to Aaron that the idea of, her being the one to end Eren's life would be the ultimate kind of way of showing her character evolution. But I think it's a bit, I mean, it depends how it's executed, but it seems a bit too on the nose and a bit too dramatic when it could be done in a, in a, in a more interesting way. Well, I, at first I thought it would be quite cruel as well, but then I, I remember chapter 112 and I was like, well, maybe maybe Aaron told her that that he hated her to make it easier on her. Like maybe if she really believed that, she would be okay. Yeah, I think afterwards. so. Afterwards, so maybe he. Has I think that was his hope. Future. Yeah, so that that would make sense if he. Well, it could still be that you know she is somehow involved in his death, and she he wants to ease her pain. In that sense, that he, that she was involved in that. Doesn't mean she has to be the one to actually kill him. Right. Yeah, I agree with, with what you will have said, that just sitting back and letting it happen would be enough. That would be, that would be the character arc right there. And as angry as I am at him, the thought of that happening, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, it seems it's really dark. I want Top Nijitsu to work, please. Wrong manga. Now that's the one thing that I would say is impossible. Anything is possible except that. It is. It is. I know that. But I I mean, this is going to happen. Somebody, you know, one side or the other is going to win. And it's just awful. Surely someone can just find the right combination of words, Ah. you know, pull it off somehow, just rub their minds together. Think of something. Just tell Aaron you're not actually free if you do this and he'll just stop. Exactly. <laughs> Armin will fix this. He will be the one to save humanity. Top New Jitsu will happen. Aaron will Look, climb mate. out of yeah. this puppet skeleton Tyrannosaurus thingy. And all Look, will be mate. happy. You're kind of, you know, th- this entire thing, 
you know, kind of cringe and you're not free. So just stop <laughs> it. We'll have a beer. Just, you know, chill out. <laughs> we have um, a couple asks about Zeke's role moving forward. I, I know I personally don't have any theories on that. I can't imagine you guys do, except. As, as far as his role, I hope he's still alive. It might be that his physical body has died, but he's still in the past realm, just like Eren and Ymir disappeared and Zeke is like, oh shit, I'm still here. What do I do? <laughs> uh, or maybe, you know, he's still alive in a physical body. I don't know. But I would like to see him in the future. I mean, I imagine he'll just be like absolutely just down in the dumps. But it'd be interesting to see how Zeke and Levi meeting up again both in their, their weakened forms, both kind of defeated in their own ways and see if they still have even the strength of will to want to kill each other. Be interesting. It would be bizarre to me if killing the killing Zeke was important anymore, but we'll see Zeke again, I think. I think so. I hope so. It'd be really funny if we didn't. <laughs> okay, last question. Uh, yeah, so Fabio Tensi asks, I'm so hyped for Soul Madness. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know what his favorite uh, Attack on Titan chapter is. Oh, God. No pressure, Soul. Well, out of all 130 chapters, oh, God. Mm. Um, uh, there are so many good ones, though. I mean, if I were to... Actually, I think I, I do have an answer chapter 122 uh ymir's backstory mm. i'd say is my favorite because as a chapter it sorts it sort of acts as a mini story in of itself and it does what it sets out to do so well in such a creative way uh that you know i just have to commend it and the fact that it, it has it's just peak isayama <laughs> pretty much just the way it's drawn uh, the, the the way how he can he can get his point across just so concisely through the artwork and in a in a kind of abstract way, the fact that it's a story in of itself that you know concisely shows the backstory of Ymir and how relevant her life is as a slave is to 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 the bigger themes of the entire narrative as a whole, the ending of it climax just the climax of Ymir finally giving in to her human temptations after repressing her feelings for 2000 years just it, it's yeah it's the most noteworthy chapter for me interesting I that's not one I would have thought that you would pick but it was a great chapter what about you Saflora I feel like we should ask you as well what's oh your my favorite gosh. chapter? <laughs> I was not prepared um oh that's so hard I really like 121 because it blew my brain up. I don't know if that's my favorite. I I have a really soft spot for 69. That's Kenny's story about like Kenny and Yuri. I just think his motivation is so unique. I've never seen anything like that from a character in anything else. The like wanting to know what compassion like that is like. That just really struck me because it was so original to me. And it's just such a touching chapter and I love like Levi's interaction with him and yeah I don't know if that's my favorite but that's the one that's coming to mind right now so yeah 
All right. Well, I think that finishes up our conversation. I know there was a lot of things that we didn't quite touch on, but this was a huge chapter and a lot to unpack. I'm sure we will be discussing those themes in further podcasts. And Polka this month did not send us a quick fire. After asking me when we were recording and putting it in his calendar, he did not do it. So we have no quick fire this month. The trader will hang for this. (laughs) So I guess this is it. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I'd really like to thank our guest again, having you guys, Saflora and Sol, and a conversation about Aaron. I'm so happy that you were able to rearrange your schedules to join us. Me too. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. I'm glad we were able to get this to work. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for, for coming back again. I hope it was as good as the previous times. It was, it was better. (laughs) (laughs) Soul says at 2 a.m. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Soul thinks we just like him for his opinions, but we're just here for the clout. So (laughs) just, just the clout. Yeah. Clout of a Z Z list inactive YouTuber. (laughs) It was fun though. It was fun. Glad you enjoyed it. I also want to thank our patrons. We have four, Kenny, Taryn, Simon, and NM. Thank you all so much for supporting us. You guys keep this podcast going because of you. We're able to distribute it on all the different platforms. So thank you so, so much. And if you want to join us, you can join us on Patreon for as low as $1. So check our Patreon out. The link will be in the description below. If you want to support us in the other way, you can do that by liking, subscribing, following us on Twitter, or just sharing the podcast with your friends and family. Anything else? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Isayama, for creating this uh, masterpiece uh. and uh, radicalizing me into loving genocide. Thank you. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> I feel like thank you, Isayama, that you did not make Aaron Yeager my favorite character because I would not want to be in that position right now. <laughs> oh boy I feel bad for you Aranist. like it has got to be brutal each and every month so I you know if the twist is coming that makes this all worthwhile or if it just ends <laughs> I just hope it ends worthwhile for you me I too sure it worked well for all of us because mm-hmm. I don't really know how it's gonna end we do not uh, Aaron does does he has he let you see on my no yet okay well thank you for listening to the podcast we hope you've enjoyed it and as always thank you for offering your hearts and your ears and until next month bye 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 I have never watched Vinland Saga, but I'll I'll watch the crap out of your video. (laughs) (laughs) How about I make a video about uh, how Aaron is the father? That'd be so cool. Oh my God. (laughs) Reiner video win. Wasn't that in the works? I would disown you. Like I literally, like that would be (laughs) such a deal breaker. Uh, Like, okay, no, no. Well, yeah, it would be. Sorry. I stand by (laughs) it.